0: Hello. What's up, buddy? I'm uh, I almost didn't make it on time. What? <laughs> I guess my, my roommate's home and my dog just found that out. But I, I I almost didn't make it on time. I was sitting there contemplating the 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 existence of humanity in my mind and I, I nodded off. <laughs> and I woke up, and I was like, what time there's a, there's, time a hundred and four, there's 146 seconds until showtime. So I slapped myself together, and here we are.
1: Well, you're here. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Um, this is episode 68. Yeah. Snakes and Stoges. Um, we will be joined by Brent Schultz of Venom Life Gear, uh, Asclepius Snake by Foundation, uh, Venom Institute. Get hooked. He we talked about it Thursday, and he wanted to come on, so we were like, "Do it, man." So I don't know if we'll get to sort of the like the thing I had planned to to chat about. Um, okay, I'm sure we could touch on it briefly, but I'm sure we'll get into a lot of other stuff.
0: Yeah, um, and to be honest, I I don't we normally talk before the episode to kind of get a uh I don't wanna say a schedule. I have an idea of what the hell we're talking about, and I felt like today we didn't, which I kind of felt was good because it's the it's the anniversary of, of things. THN.
1: Keep things interesting, and I got a shout out: Black Box Enclosures. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: yeah, I reached so out.
0: I, I reached I reached out to Jake this afternoon to see if I can get him to make a cameo appearance. Unfortunately, he wound up working quite late, and uh, he will not be able to join us this evening. But Nine he gives, o'clock. He gives everyone his regards, and he'll be joining us sooner than later. So just want to throw that out in the ether. Sweet.
1: Let's see if I can get this to adjust a little bit. That'll do. Uh, what are we smoking upon
0: this evening? Well, because you told me that it's, it's three years anniversary of the Herpetoculture it's Network.
1: Three years, like
0: two days ago, but. It, we're thing. celebrating tonight. That's right. So I went out because I needed some new sticks. I went out and got something a little out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> I got the Padrone 1964 anniversary.
1: Very nice. Was that like a Lonsdale, a Churchill?
0: I think it's it's basically a box press Churchill. I don't know what the hell they're calling it.
1: it. Looks long.
0: Yeah, it is It is quite long. It's longer than I'm normally longer than I'm normally used to.
1: <laughs> so, Raj did some reorganizing over the weekend while I was off and I completely forgot that we had these uh, it's not going to focus, but these My Father um limited edition 2018 10th anniversary that they come in their own coffin and everything. Very and I cool. have a Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Naka Tamale. So I've not had one of these since we got them in. When we first got them, they were all right. I mean, they're like $24.95, so they are a little high. Um, and I wasn't crazy about them when we first had them, but we've been sitting on these for a hot minute, so I'm wanting to see if they got any better. I'd be willing to bet they did. So... Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is <laughs> johnny bears this is my first time seeing this live and i don't know what to expect uh what i expected all to look like but i definitely expected phil to look a little different
0: mm. <laughs> well no- normally i don't have this outlandish mustache uh normally i have a a lush beard like justin um hey there he is
1: are you lush staring beard? at the sun
0: yeah man <laughs> dude what is this like a look like you're about like to get a, abducted s- you do. You look By like aliens. Like, are there cows nearby? Is there green light?
3: Here. Whoa! Yeah, so I did this today. Jeez. Yeah, you did. That's a real thing.
1: Clean. So it's, only, it's only been like four days since we talked to you.
3: No, <laughs> less. I think you
0: had all that hair, and now it's gone. Now we just here.
1: need to give you like mind powers and give you an electronic wheelchair, like an X Men.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm okay. And yes, uh... can you guys still hear me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. And this thing isn't doing a thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so yeah. It's dude. It's hot and sticky down here, man. Like I just I'm crawling inside of cabinets and doing work and like trying to fix people's drywall and getting stuff in my hair and my face and crawling on the ground and getting all kinds of like.
1: That's why longer. I keep mine shorter because it just especially now that it's getting hot, it sucks having longer hair, man. Dude. I don't know how you how y'all do it.
3: Yeah. I do no, it, man. look, I i i couldn't do it i couldn't do it at all so i gave up man i'm sorry guys it's all right it saves you a ton of
1: money on shampoo i use bar soap
3: well yeah super it's it's way faster it's uh, I, i'm all about <clears product throat> it let's just move it at that
1: irish spring
3: all right so where do we start brent what are you smoking Man, so all the real cigar shops down here got blown away by the hurricanes so i got gas station cigars um i got but i got the honey bourbon because those are two of my favorite things
1: backwoods are not bad cigars i will say Dude, that. Honestly, of all the gas station cigars those are the best
3: if you're gonna go gas station cigars you've got to go Backwoods, and if you're gonna do it honey bourbon is my my choice man but I got
0: this. Hey. Oh, nice. Like, I actually I bought a, a brand new Vertigo today as well because my old one was so messed up. And Justin showed me how to clean the burners on it, and I used Croil to uh, to kind of like take some of the tarnish off. And I just wet the thing with oil and destroyed it. So back in the game.
1: Yeah, so this has its little... Uh, oh, yeah, the little, coffin. Little coffin. And then I have a Dunburnt Tobacco Trust Naka Tamale... Is my round two, I, I said ah, it's our th- three year anniversary. I was like, I'm gonna ball out. And
3: my favorite part about that entire last sentence is that you can't even spell that
1: knock a tamale. I bet
0: you could. <laughs> 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 I'm joking, Justin.
3: So, what are we talking? So, do you have anybody? I watching? can
0: read. Yeah,
3: yeah, we got a good handful of folks
0: here. I got some Rick James on. Some of our regulars, some some people that are watching this for the first time and they're scared away by my physical appearance. It's good.
3: Yeah, man. I, I, I to, to be honest, man, I was really hesitant about doing it all, but I was like, you know what? Like, it's, it's so easy. It'll,
1: it'll grow back. And, and, too, and
3: it looks good, man. Out. I'm interested in a lot of things right now, but impressing people is not on the top of that list. Also, <laughs> also, like, first of all, yes, it can grow back. And two, um, Man, I saved so much time and money. And there's there's a lot of people out there that look worse than me with the bald head. So, I'm like, I'll take it, man. Very true. Yeah,
0: like Dan Colgan. Oh. <laughs> is, it. Da- is Dan even here to defend himself? I, I don't think so. Oh, he'll
3: listen to this later. He'll be very upset. Look at this bug.
0: Dude,
1: it was, they were brutal over the weekend here.
3: Those are, like, these midges are just going nuts from my lights, man.
1: There you go everybody. Naka tamale.
3: Naka tamale. Naka
1: tamale.
0: I feel like it's 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 Japanese Mexican fusion.
1: Yeah. Moist- you can not the soccer.
3: I mean. Yeah.
1: Ah. ow. So, uh, I speaking of snakes and stogies. I went to Augusta for the Show Me Snake Show Saturday and oh, yeah. met, or not met. I met Thomas before, but met and hung out with Thomas at the show. We wandered for a little bit and then we went to a shop in Augusta called Top Shelf. um, Hung out there, smoked outside on the little porch thing, and I smoked a uh, got a fire that I was really disappointed with. Um. Having never had one, I was kind of all the hype and stuff. I was kind of expecting it to be
0: something really did good. Get, did you get one of those super squishy ones? No,
1: this one. So this isn't the same one that you showed me earlier with the black man, okay. the secondary yeah. black man. This one was like just red and gold and I forget what it was called, but it just okay. it, it wasn't worth the the money. Um, yeah,
0: the, uh, the new tobacconist at my shop, uh, he's been the guy's been working there for a year as like a, a, a catch all kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And then they finally promoted him, I guess, about a month or two ago to full, to the tobacconist. And uh, the, the kid knows his shit, knows way more about it than me. And uh, he was like, listen, if you like this, this, and this. And it was funny because you could tell that he's he's at the justin point of, I don't know what your taste buds are, so I can't give you a recommendation. But by me giving him, hey, I like this, this, and this, he's like, oh, well, have you, have you tried this one? Right. He goes, mm-hmm. feel, feel the texture. I'm like, okay. It was a little off the wall, and I didn't. I touched it, and like, it was it was a dark Maduro, but it was very spongy. Mm-hmm. And he was basically saying that everyone likes it because of its, I don't say viscosity, but you know what I mean, its sponginess. But yeah. I'll give it a try.
1: Yeah, and then Vic asked, "Did I stay for the auction?" Uh, I did not. I ended up actually. So we went uh, to that cigar shop. Then we went to Chili's. Casey Cannon met us. Then we went back to the show. finally
0: got your chilies.
1: I did finally get my chilies.
0: Tell so us we all took, about those Honey Chipotle crispers.
1: I ordered extra, and it was amazing. And the lady looked at me like I was crazy when I was like, I want the Honey Chipotle chicken crispers, and then I want more Honey Chipotle chicken crispers.
0: Did you have your street corn? I did. I knew it. That man loves his Honey Chipotle crispers. That's
1: why I got, like, five chins.
3: <laughs> yeah, I demand Beard,
1: bro that's right <laughs> everyone's like man you probably look awesome without your beard it's like no <laughs> um then we went back to the venue because i brought the cyania up with me to well one was thomas's and the other two went to terry burwell who lives up near thomas as it turns out <clears throat> cool. um and i went and like, i bought some Cork bark rounds while I was there. Some of them like the two biggest ones they had at the show for the, the female Jans and I and the Tannan Bar. And uh, Yeah, I mean that was about it. Didn't buy any snakes. There was a handful of house snakes that caught my eye that I was tempted to get, but they were all females, so I didn't didn't bother. Um, and that's kind of why like I was thinking of, like as far as like what we had talked about um, if Brent had decided to jump next to next week. Um, it was just like sort of show economics and like, I don't, I've never been to one of the show me shows. I I had only had repticon to compare, um, that particular show, not saying all the show me shows. I've never been to any other ones. Just that one in particular, Thomas can vouch for this. Casey can vouch for this. I'm not even exaggerating when I say like 95% ball pythons. That's fair. There was like three, now four, tables that had Crested Geckos. There was two tables with invertebrates, one table with dart frogs. Um, AHP was there, so their usual kind of monitors and, and fair, Amazons.
3: identical to a Repticon show. so.
1: I, you know, I actually, like the diversity-wise, I've, <laughs> I've seen more diversity in most of the Repticon shows than that, yeah. but it wasn't a big venue, Um it was a nice show. I mean, they're just like that's what's funny is like Terry said, you know, let me know what it's what it is, like how it is. Uh, and so I, you know, he texted me as I was about to leave and I said, eh, it was all right. You know, it wasn't really anything life changing. And, um, he, it's funny because he said he has another buddy that went that is a ball python person. He asked him how it was and he was like, oh, it was awesome. He's like, it was great. You know, so it's if you're into boa morphs and you're into balls, like, there was plenty of those. Um,
3: well, and, and and let's be honest, man. If you're talking starter pets, you don't need a lot of the right. exotics and venomous. So, like, to have to have a show that's like really good for starter pets, like crested gargoyles and balls and corns. Like, like there's nothing wrong with that. We joke about it consistently within the industry because, it, generally speaking, it's oversaturated. So we joke about it. However, some of my best friends are ball python and, and gargoyle gecko breeders, and and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Just when we say things like that, it's it's a it's kind of like a general undertone, oversaturated kind of joke, more so than we don't appreciate it, right? I, w- I would agree completely. Okay. I just want yeah. to make sure. That yeah, out. Like, of course. Out, but like, yeah, because and let's let's be real. We've we've talked python, about this. Oh, there's a lot of ball python people, so it's not like yeah. Like yeah, her.
0: and we've talked about before how we've all owned these animals. We all love these animals. They're just not what we're into now, you know. Or, or, or you know, our our tastes have evolved. So I was,
1: yeah. I'm not. I'm not slamming the promoters. Yeah. I'm not slamming the vendors. I'm just saying, if you are going there looking for stuff outside of ball pythons, boas, and cresteds, there wasn't a whole lot. Yeah, but, um, there but wasn't at at a single Morelia in the building. There but at a the same time, Orchondro.
0: It's almost, to, it's almost to be expected to a certain degree in the 21st century. It is. Because those animals have done so well in the hobby.
3: Well, that's the reality. Like, we joke about it sometimes. We joke about it within the industry. But the reality is, like, if they weren't super popular pets that did super well and made a super good amount of money, they wouldn't still be around at 80% of the entire venue. Yeah. Oh, On, yeah. Right. So they're, they're good animals. There's good breeders out there doing good work with good morphs and making good money and good pets or we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> right. Right. But we'll be clear on that.
0: And there was a time, like I would say even recently, there was a time when I would go to a show and I would I would quickly skim through and I would see a table full of red tails or I'd see a table full of balls and I would just overlook it. But now I find myself looking at those animals because a lot of those breeders, even though they specialize in one thing or another, it may be more the more common, more pet stuff, they all have their side projects or their side breeding pairs or whatever. And, you know, you'll have a guy that's nothing but uh, Crested Geckos, and then there will be like Mullendorfi in the corner. Right. And it's like, wh- where do those come from? You know, so I, I find myself appreciating appreciating the scanning more. You know what I mean? Opposed to course, me just be like, oh, ball, ball, ball. Or they're
3: all python table, but the last three or four cases are like eight to ten thousand dollar morphs of monarchs. Sure. But right? well, there's only like two bloodlines of, right? So like, so yeah, I mean, there's there's those things where you get those like diamonds in the rough, if if you will, and uh, and I think it's totally worth looking at, man. I mean, and and two. To be to be super clear for you guys and everybody else, like I'm not a big geneticist guy. Like I don't know the X Y B highway head pie, like uh, caramel ball, orange cream dream team, whatever. Like I don't, I don't, I don't do any of that. I like, love that he threw the highway in there. I love that. Yeah, blows <laughs> <laughs> my mind every time. However, um, when I walk through and I see some of these, I'm like, oh my god, like a beautiful snake, and it's not like a ball python that's pretty attractive it's like that's just flat out a beautiful snake
1: no there were some some really nice looking ones there i mean me and me and thomas at one point we're just walking around and been like man that one's you know that one's really nice that one's really nice these are really cool it's just maybe it's because so i was i was really hoping that i'd walk in and see at least a baird's for sale on a table and that i would be able to walk out the door with it but when I come to find that there was like no Colubrids, which Mike Kosicki, uh brings up a good point that it's not the time of year for Colubrid hatchlings anyways, um, you know, I don't know. It was – so that's – that's. I mean that's, that's kind of what I was wanting to talk about was like how uh, – thinking about it more like we're kind of at a point now where sh- like there's no way to really change that to make shows more – diverse in terms of like selection because if you tell people we're only going to have so many ball python tables people are just going to not bother paying for a table yeah and so then the show is going to be short changed because they don't have anybody vending right right you know and so it's what thomas say i do think high-end boa morphs look better than the bb morphs at the same price point which there were some really killer boas there was you know i'd I appreciate them all for what they are. Just...
0: Did uh did you guys see the the ball python morph that made it to mainstream media? And it starts off as look at how cool this is, but they're playing God with genetics. It was a it was a, a completely white ball python with orange smiley faces going down its back. Like perfect orange little jack-o'-lantern smiley faces. Yeah, it
1: was a hide or something.
0: It was some yeah, and the if, if the clickbait aspect was uh Python bred with emojis down its back. But then when you click the article and you look at it, they're basically slandering us for, you know, doing all these, you know, designer genetics and, and crossing things to make this animal, which I thought was very, very backhanded, but it's mainstream media, what do you expect? But at the same time, I'm like, I would totally own a completely white ball python with freaking orange smiley faces down its back. That's super cool. <laughs>
3: Hey, you did it, man. Like, I'm i am not a huge – you guys know me. I'm a venomous guy, right? Like, I'm not a huge rat snake guy, and I'm definitely not a huge bull snake guy. But when I had the opportunity to own a bull snake-corn snake hybrid that was precisely 50-50 on the patterning, it was a wow. six-foot bull snake with corn snake coloring, bull wow. snake half-keeled skin. Sca- Some splotches on the belly, but not all of them. Hmm bull snake head that could hiss with corn snake markings that's it was crazy 50 split ever and i'm like i don't like bull snakes or corn snakes per se and like i don't want to own them because that's not my deal right or to own this animal but i like it, them
1: together yeah
3: yeah the only person like that i know of in the world that owns this thing yeah i'm in because it's a yeah. I like i get to say i get to do so so there's something to be said for that right and like and two if you're really big into social media, you're really big into the clickbait, you're really big into whatever, like a lot of us are, um, then having that at your disposal to up your numbers, up your viewers, up your shares, whatever, like, think about this. If that was in your collection, you would have been Instagram famous in 24 hours oh, yeah, worldwide. Right. And so that's a worthwhile animal. Yeah. And it looks cool.
1: <laughs> so Bill brings up a good point. He said, I do wonder people who breed select species need to do shows. If you want something special, you use your Google Foo and find it and then buy it on Fauna or Morph Market. Then Jeff says, a lot of cool diverse shit sells before shows are all, uh, and often don't even get posted. Ben said, I got my table because I have some, I had something different to offer. And I mean, those are all things that I agree with. Like that was kind of my issue if I had a ton of condros and stuff to sell, I'd be doing a table most likely at a, a local show like Daytona or something. Um, and then I think it's a case of if there's people out there like myself that would like to see more obscurity and more uh, sort of specialized select stuff, I guess, then it's going to take people like, like myself to go and vend and sort of like be the, be the change in a sense. Uh, but you, you know, there's there's but, an entire other side of that where it's you know you have to have enough stuff to actually make it worthwhile and
3: yeah yeah. But how many, how many how many X's can you put in one name of a ball python, or it's too many, right? It's like, true. and I and I'm not talking about ball python people bad in any way whatsoever. I think it's awesome what they're doing. However, I'm just asking the question philosophically, like, at what point is it like? Like I said, a highway, orange dream, white cross, black diamond, whatever. And you get five, six, seven, eight, nine names in there. And now it's like, I, if, if there's a dog and you have a pit bull and a German shepherd mix, it's called a mutt. Now we can put eight names to a ball python and it's worth more. Like at what point is too many, too many. And I'm just asking that hypothetically. And I, yeah. I would love to hear back from people on what they think.
1: I have thought about that. And it's like,
3: yeah when you get into
1: those crazy five gene combos and stuff like that it's yeah. you're gonna have to just come up with an acronym or something at some point I'm like, okay. just...
3: but but I, I i understand enough about genetics as a biologist with a degree in biology i understand enough about genetics to say cool bet you can't do it again <laughs> that was six genes like come yeah. on Right. So like I mean imagine having
1: to fill out the like the feeding and record cards and stuff. It's like you're gonna (laughs) (laughs) scribbles off to the side in really tiny letters.
2: Yeah. Like
3: like, think about that person that has the white snake with the with the orange emojis down the back. How many litters are they gonna have to have from the exact same two parents to have that exact same thing happen again? Yeah. Yeah. All for the rest of their life, right? And so that's cool. And I, I love and appreciate it. But I'm just saying philosophically, from a genetic standpoint, how does that work? And honestly, like I really don't know. If there's somebody out there that does genes and ball python, whatever that does, know, please chime in, because I I don't know, and I'll be the first one to say that. I have no problem being that guy. But I'm just—that's the kind of stuff that I think about, and I'm like, that's six genes, man. Yeah, it looks cool, but reproduce another snake that looks like that.
0: Yeah, there's a guy locally to me who's a a big ball python breeder, and he's probably got close to a thousand. snakes and basically when he does like a punnett square it's like three of them combined you know what i'm saying like he, he he drew one out for me like out of his nice. memory and like it's like three grids combined i was like dude i can't do you know nine times four like this is you know what i'm saying <laughs>
3: that, that's excessive Wait, what, did, what did johnny say what did that what did that say justin Johnny?
1: He said, I uh, saw people thinking about getting into shows for the first time, uh, what does it take to get started financially and inventory wise? What do's and don'ts could you give on etiquette setup and accessories? So I guess that's going to kind of vary for Brent as it would for like me or Phil, depending on if you're selling hardware or animals.
3: Yeah, right. We're, we're one of, the, we're how one of you. How do you
1: manage to know? How do you guys navigate the inventory thing?
3: Well, easy. We don't have to feed it. We don't have to water it. It doesn't move. (laughs) That is true. That is very true. Shirts, especially like like, the lady down the street. That's that's way different than what you. (laughs) Like
1: your five X shirts, you're probably not going to bring as many of those as you would like a two X, and then like your extra extra smalls, you're not going to bring a ton of either. Like, how do you how do you get the most efficiency out of out of stocking up for that stuff?
3: Yeah. So I bring a few extra small. Mostly medium, large, and extra large. About as third as, as many two x, two to three three x, and then I stop. I can offer in certain shirts four x, five x, and six x. Actually, which didn't even probably, know that was possible. No, that was a thing. That's that's a big dude. That, I've already had two x shirts in in two years, but still, that's a lot in my mind. Yeah. And, um. But so I offer all those. I don't bring anything over 2X to a show. Occasionally, we'll do 2, 3X just because, um, no offense, no disrespect, but there tends to be bigger people at reptile shows. Sure. That's a regular thing. Or I wouldn't make them. But I sell them. In two to three shows, I'll sell both my 3X, which is why we offer them. It's nothing different. But then yeah. on the smaller side, I go down to extra small. And I only go to small and men's. And then extra small in women's and that's it i can sometimes in certain fits get smaller than that but i don't offer them if they want it i can special order it i can take their order take their money that day and then ship it to them for free just like they bought it at the show and that's not not- the reality is you're absolutely right like we can't offer everything all the time and that you know when you're sitting when you're sitting on any inventory whether it's live animals or or hard products That's, that's money. Like we may pay $12,000 for these shirts, but if we sold them retail, it's worth 18, 24, depending on the product and the price markup and whatever else is, is fair. Um, alternatively with animals, it's the same thing. Like you had them for free. You had these six ball pythons for free, but it costs you time, feeding, water, money, housing. Like, what are they worth to you? What is the market value? What's the supply and demand? So... All of that matters, but when you're sitting on inventory, it doesn't matter what it is. You could be sitting on twelve thousand dollars in inventory in snakes and twelve thousand dollars in inventory in shirts, and we could have three tables each. Like it doesn't matter, right? So that's what it really comes down to is the supply and demand. So when it's when it's getting tables for us and getting into it, let's just say this. He's not wrong. When it comes to getting tables, you have to have inventory. Don't get two, three tables that are depending on what show you do, $75 to $210 a table and go get two, three, four tables if you only have eight crested geckos, right? Like, but at the same time, if you get four tables because you have 200 crested geckos or 150 ball pythons and you get four tables at $185 a piece, but at Repticon, you're selling eight a piece and at NARBC you're selling 34 a piece like you have to weigh that out and and yeah. he's not wrong like the only way to really know is to try it and start small it's better to show if you guys are interested in getting into shows it's better to sm- start small with one or two tables max and hope to sell out by midday Saturday that's a much better problem to have than getting four tables and going home with nine tenths of your inventory yeah so, Do it, start small, sell out. In fact, there's a lot of people, product-wise, and snake, lizard, turtle, whatever-wise, that they sell 25, 50. I know guys that have sold their entire inventory before the show opened Saturday morning. They sold it Friday night while they were setting up to other vendors. They showed up Friday, set up their tables, sold everything they owned, their entire collection, the whole table, to somebody else Friday night. And then didn't their, their their table was blank for Saturday and Sunday, just sat empty. That's a much better problem to have, right? So start yeah. small. That's my advice. No matter. what. Well, that's
1: some that's something me and Phil were talking about the other day because we're planning on vending for the magazine, for Daytona, and it was, you know, he said don't order whole, you know, a lot as far as issues like hard copies. But I would rather have slightly too many than not enough. But Phil is in disagreement and says, well, keep in Go mind, lower.
3: I hate to say this as like as a product vendor and a guy that has like, you know, a few different businesses doing hard products. Um, But I'll I'll tell you right now, from a business standpoint, for you and everybody listening, that um, by not bringing enough, you create a sense of urgency.
1: Yeah. uh, Philip brought that up and I don't disagree with him. I don't know. I just didn't want to be the guy that like, hey, we have a magazine. Cool. Can I buy one? No, we don't have any. They're all gone. Because we only brought yeah, but you're you
0: know, not. You, but you're but not going to say it like that. It's I'm not going to
1: bring like a semi truck of magazines. But right. I want to. I want to find the sweet spot where it's like we have plenty to sure. carry us through the weekend, but not so many to where I'm taking ninety percent of them back home with me.
0: Right, where
3: so we fall in. Go uh, ahead, Phil, so you first. Please. No, well,
0: real quick. I was going to say is, I come from a business where if you don't have it, you can't sell it, and and I would much rather have more of something knowing that it's going to sell but at the same time i don't want to i don't want to bite off more than i can chew you know what i'm saying so if it's a difference just speaking about magazines i would rather get 150 magazines 50 of one issue 50 of another 50 of another right and sell those out completely and then say hey we sold out but you can go to our website you can buy them the shipping you know here's a promo code for the show to take you know two bucks off or whatever it is and then." Again, like Brent was saying, it has that demand there. So oh man, if they sold out all their magazines, I gotta get a copy too. I'll go online and who knows, maybe they fill their shopping okay. cart online, you okay. know.
3: You're better you're better off trying to sell those last two when there's only two left because they know that if they don't do it and they come back in an hour, they're probably gonna be gone. Alternatively, you have the option to do what we do and split the middle where we'll bring quite a bit of product. I mean, we bring tens of thousands of dollars of shirts and hats and whatever, like that stuff's not yeah. cheap. And when you're sitting on apparel inventory. It's not like snake inventory. Like we paid what we paid. And, and, you know, when you have baby snakes, you didn't buy those. You have money invested, whatever, food, time, water, housing, whatever. But like if I want another 300 shirts of a new brand, like I have to buy them up front. Like that's it's not like yeah. babies. I can't make my shirts have more shirts. Like like I have to physically pay out of pocket to make more. So apparel is a whole nother animal. Like start an apparel company, he says. What a terrible idea.
1: That wasn't an- Well, I, I just realized like you're like the perfect person to talk about this because by the time Daytona rolls around, we're gonna have over twenty issues, and so that was another thing that me and Billy had talked about, and I'm sure I mentioned it you to Phil was, was how many of each do you bring? Like you don't, yeah, I like I, I, I keep uh, telling Billy I don't know how many I should be ordering and uh, how many of each because after
3: this. How, what, what is your format? Do you, are you taking Squarespace? Are you taking credit cards? You taking cash only? You taking checks? Are you, do you have a a Shopify account? Or is it through a website? Cause like us, we have a Shopify with a POS. So I can literally take credit cards on a Bluetooth chip slide reader. I can type it in. I can have them literally. I hold up an iPad. They can type in their information and order it right there. I can be like, Oh, what's your last name? Phil, Phil, what Nobtails. Cool. Make it, make it for a hundred percent discount. Knobtails, click. All right, now take your order, put in the code Knobtails, and he gets a hundred percent off shipping, which is the exact same thing as buying it at the show. Mm-hmm. Bring half of my inventory to the show. For those who don't ask or whatever, create a sense of urgency. But when I get home, I had thirteen people pay at the show that gave me physical cash on Saturday morning. I ship them out Monday morning and I pay the shipping because I didn't bring it and that's my fault. Yeah. But I, I have that option, right? So I get to split the difference where I'm like, cool. I don't have any left in stock. However, I do have them back at the shop. So why don't I sell it to you at my show price? I will pay the shipping if you fill this form out right now. Now, not only are you the good guy, they got to order something that they didn't have It saved you from bringing half of the issues. Time, money, space on tables and everything else. But they feel like they're getting a good deal. And I'm not trying to tell people out in there, you know, in the crowd and their listeners that we're tricking them. But from a business standpoint, you're getting the same deal. The only difference is the person before you got to leave with the last green shirt. Yeah. You have to wait four days for years, but you paid the exact same price. They just brought theirs home today on the plane, which took up luggage space, and you get to shipped to your house. Alternatively, depending on who you are, that's almost a better option. Yeah. Right? Like Snake yeah. Hook. Think about this. When people fly to the shows and they're like, I want a 40-inch hook, but I, I flew here and I don't have a check bag. Cool. Buy it today. Fill it out on the iPad. We'll take your money, and I'll ship it to you on Monday for free shipping's on me. And we offer that so now i give people an option who flew from california to daytona did the show and flew home to get the hook three days after they showed up so that way we get the opportunity to not only make it a better business deal for us carry only only some of the inventory instead of all of it take up four tables instead of eight which i could easily fill which saves us six hundred dollars a show if not more right alternatively we create a sense of urgency for people who don't know and or ask we give them the same option and we give more people options that didn't have the chance to take a 40-inch hook before. Now they have an option to buy a 40 inch hook today and pick it up at their house four days later. So we actually solve more problems um doing it that way. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah, 100 percent man. So I, I highly suggest, no matter what you do, Justin, I highly suggest leaving some of the issues at home. If you have 30 of each issue in stock right now, leave ten of each at home. If you have 50 of each issue, bring 35, leave 15 at home. And the reason I say that is because if you run out on Saturday at noon, you can stay at your table for the rest of Saturday and all of Sunday, continue to sell the one last copy you kept for you that says sold. Yeah. But you get to show people what they're going to get and continue yeah. to, sell. you don't even carry inventory in physically, but you just pay the shipping. Now, yeah. yeah from a business standpoint, it costs you a little bit more, but now you have 50 issues out there pre-sold instead of 35, and now you're hoping somebody finds it online and and pays the shipping. It's a better deal, man. Like that's my opinion. Yeah, because so, how many how many of
0: those people that you, it's a great it's a great concept because how many of those people are going to say, oh yeah, you know what, I'll just I'll just
3: buy it later when I get home, you know,
0: and they never, they do. The, and they never do,
3: right? All of them. Yeah, all. Of them. I'm gonna come back to your booth. <clears throat> come back. Honest to God, dude, I'm not even joking, and I'm giving a little tip to your listeners, but that's fine, because they deserve it, because they listen to you guys all the time. So <laughs> I get it all the time. People are like, Saturday at one o'clock, like, oh, I'm gonna go look around, and then I'm gonna come back. I'm already. I look. I look over, and I'm like, they're not coming back. They're, yeah. they're never- <laughs> but when 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 four thirty rolls around, they do last call shows. You know, tables closing at five o'clock, and that person comes back hey do you still have that hook and i'm like dude i actually do in fact just for that like i'm i'm gonna hook you up like i'm gonna give you an extra discount just because (laughs) no the fact that you did is crazy to me um because you're right dude when people say they're coming back they never come back
0: i'm the guy that says oh man i i got i got something going on right now i'll be back later and then i come back and it's gone i'm that guy i miss out because i didn't buy it on the spot,
3: I pull that straight up, man. I'm like, listen, like, I, I got two left. Yeah, medium and a large. Like, if you don't buy it now, I'm, I'm not gonna hold it for you. The only way I'm gonna hold it for you is if you pay for it. Right. Now, you guys, you guys, because you have magazines or whatever, you're gonna do magazines, and and uh, I would highly suggest shirts as well. But if you're gonna do magazines and whatever at your booth, um, shirts you'll need size, but magazines you don't need sizes, like, just bring a certain amount. And you know, from a business standpoint, it creates urgency, whatever. And and if people want it, they want it, right? They're gonna get it. At the same time, how much how much do you want to work, man? Every time you load the trailer and unload the trailer, and you gotta pay for table space. And the difference between three tables and four tables at Pomona is $185. Yeah. Like, that's a lot. Yeah. You better sell an extra 100 magazines yeah i have to lift and carry the extra five boxes that that took to make it worthwhile so from from a business standpoint it's tough and that's why i suggest man it's better to start with one table and sell out at noon on saturday that's a way better problem to have at shows than show up with 150 ball pythons and go home with 149 and you bought three tables like oh yeah i'm just saying if you're getting back to Johnny's point. Like if you're doing it and you're getting started in shows, it's a better way to go, man. Start small.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's me and Jake, one of the very first episodes, I want to say it's like maybe the third or the fourth. We talked about, um, like vending shows and how I'm of the opinion that I would rather do some local ones where I'm not having to pay a ton of money for gas, ton of money for lodging that only ups the, you know, what you have to cover basically in sales. Um, like you really want to make it worthwhile, you know, like, like Daytona and, and Tinley and stuff. Those I guess would probably be exceptions. Cause if you're going there anyways, there's like the social side of it, but you know, like vending me vending a show in Nashville when I, a don't have a ton of stuff to sell for me, isn't really all that practical because you know, uh, there's a chance I might break even, but uh-huh. I'm not going to bank on it, you know?
3: And, And two, there's a lot of people out there, man. If you reach out and start making friends in the industry, there's a lot of people out there to be like, listen, man, like I only have a half a table worth of shit. So come and put your stuff on my table and they'll share tables with you. Or I bought two tables, but I'm only taking one and a half. Dude, when when Get Hooked, when we did our first show ever, there was actually one show we went all the way out to Arlington for the NARBC. And they didn't have, from Florida. So I flew in from Denver. Woody drove in from Florida and we didn't have a table. Dude, like wow, worst case scenario, bro. And this yeah. is just before we even owned Venom life, before we even started the apparel. And uh I'll never Sarah Davidson, man. Like 100%. I'll throw her out there. Plano, Texas. <laughs> Love her to death. She she stepped out. She was she was with uh you know Plano Geckos. Um and she she was like you can have half of my table like no joke. And she <laughs> her stuff to make room for us. We set up sold out. We promoted her stuff, she promoted our stuff, and we've been good friends with her ever since. And like honestly, that was that was a big start for us. And that was mm-hmm. on. But if you ask people, man, like
1: Oh, we do it all the time with Billys in Daytona. Uh, We're like, "Billy, leave some empty slots in your in your display cuz we almost always have some stuff between like you know, right. us two and Casey
3: And it's like sell But if this you don't have, animals, if you have five animals That you want to sell, you could probably Send them with somebody else Oh yeah Get a commission, dude, do a 60-40 split 50-50 split, like there's options, right? Sure So just things to think about from the business side Like it's 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 hard to get into shows We did, There's there's been a couple times that we did 18-20 shows in a year Yeah DNA Reptiles, you know, Andy Hine was Uh southern reptile supply he did in 2019 he did 57 shows that's more shows than there were in weeks <laughs> like, like that's crazy dude that's man. nuts uh, dude that's, that's nuts, nuts and um but he he got to the point where he's running two crews and buying multiple tables and and uh and built it up but those guys started just like everybody else man splitting tables with somebody else and Just don't go too big too fast. That's my biggest thing. And keep in mind, Justin, too, there's a reason that they give you three to five years at the IRS to claim losses on your taxes, because they know it takes at least that long to generally create profits. So the first year or two, as a small business, even if it's a side hobby, if the first year or two, it takes you before you break even. Dude, if you can break even in two years at a reptile show, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> like, if you make profits in that <laughs> industry, and yeah. it takes three or four years to, to make a profit, you're doing fine, man. That's that's not abnormal. So if you can, the first year, go out there with 15 ball pythons, you sell eight, but your hotel, fuel, Uber, food, and drinks. Yeah. Bro, like that's a win in my book because there is a shit ton of us that don't get that option to break even. <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah. Uh, we still take losses at two and a half years in, man.
1: I have but a dream hard. of a table of nothing but bears rats and people come up and say, why are you selling a bunch of gray rat snakes?
3: Yeah,
1: You don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring like a, one of the Loma Altas and be like, "This is why," and then they'll, and then it'll make sense.
3: Oh man, what episode is this?
1: Sixty-eight.
3: God bless.
1: Three years of THP, THN,
0: THN. Crazy, well, this,
3: but this is just sixty-eight for for snakes and stogies. Correct. Yeah,
1: we're up to like. 117 17. coming up week.
3: Yeah. That's the one I just did. Uh, you yeah. were 116, right?
1: Yeah, 17 is this week, and we're going to have Kevin Messenger, who just released the book on Asian rats and their kin. Pretty stoked about that. I ordered my copy today, so hopefully it'll be here before Thursday so I can kind of flip through it and get some questions together.
3: And how many magazines? 14. Uh,
1: Seventeen. Seventeen. This is the eighteenth that I'm working on right now. <clears throat> which is also blows my mind because it's like, where did it all go? It would just so freaking fast, dude.
3: But I meant to mention on that real quick we we're talking about the magazine stuff. So I talked to Woody about that. I'm like, hey man, how come you didn't tell me that we were doing the magazine next month? He goes, Oh no. I'm like, man, you never tell me anything. I had to find out from the guys on the podcast. So we were talking about that and I'm like, Man, we did kind of you know the Brent Venom venom. And we did that that whole episode of the the magazine. Sorry, article of the magazine, um, which I, it was an honor for me to do that to be the industry spotlight. But that was on the Venom Life thing, right? I kind of, but a lot of it was my story, Brent Schultz, yeah. how I got to be where I'm at. And then we talked to. So this time's gonna be, you know, the Get hook the hooks. Mm-hmm. But we haven't done Woody, man, and like we honestly,
1: we did Woody. Woody's the, he was the spotlight, like. It's been what three or four issues? It's been
0: yeah,
3: kind of a minute. Yeah,
0: <clears throat> yeah. The, so when I went to Woody's to do the hook stuff, yeah, I, I interviewed him for the spotlight. So oh, I'm like actually
3: about like like being a, 30 and a half year career firefighter fighter, paramedic and like how he got into snakes and yeah,
0: and I think was the issue after Justin was the issue after Brent's.
1: Um, it might have been,
0: or maybe there may one in between them. I think. Oh, so like, he, did- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming and early. the and the problem is is I got to I got to tell Woody that the the hook article is going to be this coming issue because it's my fault I procrastinated writing the damn thing for 4 months. Yeah. So so it's my fault that neither one of you knew it was coming, but it, it is coming.
3: Well, but I told him that. So that's that's awesome. Sorry you guys got to look at my trailer with all my books.
1: I finished the layout for that today actually, so.
3: Oh good. So you can send it to me tomorrow. Yep. I'm gonna go
0: my trailer. You guys have any business? Hold on. So yeah, I um, I'm I'm confident in the things that you, me, and Billy have talked about in terms of us vending Daytona, that uh it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a lot of good publicity. And I think that the people that want apparel are going to be able to get the apparel. We'll have
1: shirts for anybody that's that's listening. That's going to be a day. Yeah. We'll have shirts. It won't just be a table with like five magazines on it. Like we're going to have right. shirts and stuff.
0: So. Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be THP stuff, THN stuff, uh, snakes and stogies apparel. Uh, I'm going to have some Nobtel apparel there too. We're going to do some hats, shirts, and then a ton of different vinyl decals. Uh, Billy's been killing it with the vinyl decals, Dude. So we'll have vinyl decals of all the respective. Companies, if you will, uh, and then magazines too. So, and then one thing I was just going to jump back on from like the show point of view for those of the listeners who want to get who want to do their first show, whether it be a craft show or reptiles or whatever.
1: Antiques Roadshow.
0: Antique Roadshow, right? Whatever show you want to do, um, you're never going to remember everything. You're always going to forget paper towels. You're always going to forget, you know, a bottle of water. You're, you're going to forget something. And I always tell people in the, in the weeks coming up to the show, start mapping out the stuff on notepad or on your notes in your phone, start mapping out the stuff that you plan on bringing or that you might want there. And at the same time, don't be intimidated by these other organizations or other companies that have these big elaborate, beautiful booths because we all start from somewhere and a simple tablecloth goes a long way. So shy of you not having a tablecloth, which some people choose not to, um, You don't need to have a big, crazy, elaborate booth, but try and make it look clean and and do the best you can. You know, and it's always going to get better.
1: And Mike asked, any idea on when Daytona tickets go on sale and if it'll be open entry like pre-COVID or time-slotted tickets? Last year it was it was a free-for-all.
3: It was, and that was during COVID. So I have a highly, I highly doubt that it's going to be any different this year.
0: Well, it 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 wasn't
3: through a line.
0: Yeah, it wasn't free for all in the sense of anything goes. Like there was still fairly good health
3: procedures. You had to wear yeah. that, that stuff. However, yeah. it wasn't time slot. Correct. Correct.
0: Yeah.
1: I think this year is going to be one of the biggest probably of all time just because I think everyone's so, so antsy to get back to, you know, normal normal shows and, you know, getting out
3: we're hoping that at this point there's a couple vendors that are still leery about being out, which is fine. I'm not mad about that. Um, but I'm hoping that we can swoop up a couple extra tables and actually just put my truck in a booth and get like eight tables instead of four and put my truck in the booth that is a 45 degree angle and call it a day. So we're hoping yeah. that definitely that would be awesome. That would be cool. awesome.
0: Be yeah, awesome. Be cool.
3: So, but yes, I mean, Daytona, honestly, man, like, Daytona is one that we only do once a year Pomona's well it's Anaheim now that we only do once a year. Um, we got pushed back to Anaheim from Pomona um, but man we love those shows and that's a thing that I think that people forget about shows right like they think you know with with repticon and and all these other like relatively recognized local shows even with N A R E C whatever, I just did a a YouTube thing with uh, Max Hicks on Max's View, and I just did that at Conroe for the Herp Show.
2: Mm One
3: of the big things that we talked about was, yeah, there's ball pythons, whatever. But one of the big problems we have on YouTube in particular of these shows and expos is people walking through and they're like ball pythons, and they just like walk through and show all this stuff, and like nobody stops to talk about how cool this one animal is or how special this is or the husband animal right and and the one there are some that do that i want to single everybody out but for the majority it's like hey here's the expo and it's like 13 videos come out after tinley of the exact same saturday yeah (laughs) the exact same tables and like how are you ever going to gain followers that way i was like the reality is like yes we come to tinley twice a year every year for the last five years we've been at tinley well even last year we were at tinley they were closed we set up shop in the parking lot while it was snowing at Brian Potter's place (laughs) and we still sold (laughs) like we made it work because we already drove all the way up there. We might as well sell some stuff. Yeah. Right. The point point is one of the big reasons we go to the shows is the people, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whole thing on that. Nobody talks about that. Like you think about the herb community, a lot of us, you know, we talk shit on it every once in a while because it's, you know, it's just what we do. But at the same time, man i i've seen dudes like when chase went through brain cancer and when and when jt at reptichid lost his entire house and facility him and his brother to to the fire and most of their animals and we've seen we've seen people go through i mean everything every every single sort of major devastation you could think of from hurricanes to brain cancer to house fires to whatever i mean tell hicks with breaking his neck I mean, we've seen everything and these different organizations all over the reptile industry have stepped up and said, we're going to raise money 60%, 80%, 100% of whatever our auction is Saturday night goes to this person with this issue. And we've raised 68,000 here for this person, $110,000 for this person.
1: The the auctions at Daytona are a spectacle that even if you're not participating, you need to just watch it because it's just unbelievable what people
3: drop what daytona mm-hmm. not when you guys were there but the year before two years ago 20 2019 daytona
2: mm-hmm.
3: i mean i i took my shirt off wiped on ryan McBay's head we both signed it and that thing i think it sold for like 150 bucks <laughs> <laughs> and we're and we're yeah. both nobodies but people are there because they want to spend pause <clears throat> and it's for the right thing right mm-hmm. do it with my shirt or ryan's sweat but we made it a spectacle and (laughs) now the excitement and whatever like but that that for us is like the people aspect of the of the the expos i think is one of the reasons that we truly go but never actually talk about as far as youtube is concerned in particular Mm Me and so Phil mean,
1: talk about it all the time. If there wasn't a reptile show, we'd still go down there for a weekend and hang out. Like the yeah. reptile show is really just a bonus. Like I love getting to, you know, hang out with Phil, Matt, and yeah. Jamie, Thomas, like, you know, Billy, like, all, all our people. The man, and it's just,
0: yeah, it's a blast. Yeah. We all, we always say it is that it's about interacting and spending time with the chosen family. The animals are just a bonus.
3: Hey, man, you know, like here's a perfect example. Justin, how often do we see each other? Daytona. Phil, how often do we see each other? <laughs>
0: Day- Daytona.
3: <laughs> how often do I do Daytona? Uh, Every one. So I see you all once a year. That's it. I'll, I'll do I'll do podcasts and magazines and snakes and stogies, and we'll talk on the phone. We yep. all – like we talk all the time. Yeah. But we see each other, smoke stogies, on the beach, have a drink yep. once yeah. a year. Mm-hmm. Great. 64 and a quarter days. And we spend two and a half of them together every single year. And that's the only time we spend. That's important to me. That's why I go to Daytona. Yes, I have a product to sell. Yes, I have multiple companies and I'm trying to sell a product and push a thing. Yes, I'm a part of nonprofits that I'm trying to push and raise money for. The reason I choose Daytona There's a million shows I could go to, man. Yeah. I go to every year because that's probably one time a year that I see most of those people.
2: Yeah.
3: You know what I mean? I do the same thing with Pomona, which is now Anaheim. NARBC, Arlington. NARBC, whatever. You know, Finley. Those are the only times I get to see those people, man. A lot of the I'll see 15, 20 times a year at every show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I like
1: Daytona, it seems like it's almost become like a heritage thing more than anything. Like it's become oh, yeah. such a like every year, you know, it's Daytona and it's like yeah. there's only one and yeah it's kind of its reputation what's, has sort of preceded it, I guess.
3: What's crazy to me is that was like one of the biggest shows in the country for a really long time throughout the seventies. And it was the first venomous show in the country. Yeah. And now it's like not anywhere near as big as. Some of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You're like that's crazy to me.
2: Yeah, but And that, you uh, those
3: was the show, dude. In the late the yeah. eighties, it was the only show. The show for reptiles. That's it. Daytona well, was.
0: I remember what got me to really want to go was two thousand four. Reptiles magazine did an issue with a little snippet covering the the show from two thousand three in anticipation for two thousand four. And I don't know if you remember the old convention center. It used to have that balcony that yeah. wrapped around the top. And that I've there was the seen it. what's that?
3: I've never went to it, but I've seen it.
0: Yeah, I, I the one the year the, the the last year they had in that building, the upstairs was closed and I didn't get to go see that view. But there used to be this grandiose view of this massive, almost indoor stadium. And you could go in the balcony and there was like small vendors up top and you'd look over the balcony and you would just see this this sea of vendors and hobbyists and animals and equipment and gear and husbandry stuff. And that right there was like, wow, this is, this is it, man. You know? And I feel like just to go back to what Justin was saying about its reputation kind of preceding it. I feel like the nostalgia is what's building it back up. yeah And that's why I feel like we're on the, we're on the path of Daytona getting better, bigger and better and bigger and better and bigger and better at the same time you're having more and more private breeders and it is, it's awesome.
3: That's true. But keep in mind, I mean, just from 2019 to 2020, even with COVID, from 2019, we had an entire aisle down the middle of food vendors. In 2020, those were all gone. Yeah. Got rid of the food and made room for more vendors. So it's already on the way of growing back up. 100%. Oh, yeah. And there there is something about, like, like there's something about Daytona being OG. Like, I love narbc people man i i love them to death they're some of my best friends in the world in fact all the people that own NARBC sell my stuff like they're <laughs> however there's something OG about Daytona and anybody that knows reptile industry and, and shows knows that and so but th- but here's the thing man there's reptile shows and then there's saturday night auctions and there yeah. different saturday
1: nights in Daytona period <laughs> Yep.
3: And ARBC is the same thing. Like if you're going to do the Saturday night auction, it's a whole other culture with a whole other side of people, a whole bunch of alcoholic food that you didn't expect out yep. of people that you never wanted to see and a whole bunch of language that your kids probably shouldn't hear. Yeah. Like oh yeah. Auctions are not the same. It's a totally different culture. Hmm. But for me, that's like two weekends in one. I get to spend my yeah. my day weekend with all my people at the show, and my night weekends with yeah. my people at the auction. It's almost like getting two vacations in one. To be honest, sure, sure. And so, but that's the kind of stuff that nobody talks about. They're like, oh yeah, I went to Daytona, and I'm like, yeah, but you're doing it a huge disservice. What part? Did you so, know. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's Not the same thing, man. Yeah, so I'll bring that the up. The
1: yin too. and the yang. You gotta see. You gotta get both to to really experience it.
3: Hundred percent, yeah, dude. If you're gonna be in the reptile industry and the reptile culture and being an, a vendor at an expo, that's part of the culture. You're in the hobby. Yeah. Going to shows, going to NARBC and Daytona, and 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 you know places like that, that makes you a little bit more exclusive. Like you're more, you're part of a little bit more like the party crowd type of thing, per se. Like the more well known stuff. Like people don't do, hundred sixty seven thousand views on YouTube from repticons. And there's nothing against reptiles, but it just doesn't happen. It's the, yeah. entities, the Pomona's and Anaheim's and like, you know, big well known shows, including Daytona and things like that. Then you turn around and you're like, yeah, but the Saturday nights, man, that's where like, that's like the only fans for reptile shows. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I'm not joking. We think about Instagram being a reptile show, the Saturday night auction is the, the only
0: fans. 100%. 100%. <laughs>
3: And if you're missing out on that part of the culture, you're like you're missing out. That's my. Yeah. Point.
1: I don't know. I just love sitting on the back porch, finding my my chair, and that's my spot. That's where I. That's where you'll find me. If I'm not at the show, you'll find me planted on that back porch, smoking cigars all day long.
0: <laughs> and look, Tim Morris dropping bombs, 1990 <laughs> Orlando. Hell yeah, yeah. hell yeah.
3: Is that a fire? <laughs> and I think it was, it was. It was fire. I think it was a fire show, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was fire show. <laughs> I'm hoping this year we don't fire
1: have fire. some dude come out, some stranger come out and tell us that we can't smoke on the porch anymore.
0: Bro, did you yeah, hear about that? That? Was, that was that was a that was a misunderstanding because I, I feel like not to sound like a jerk, but I definitely would not have handled that as PC.
3: <laughs> Which
0: part? The voices so,
1: are talking to him in his head again. No,
0: there's their neighbors are arguing. Um nice. No, Justin went on the patio with some people, and they were smoking oh. cigars. It was and, me and Thomas. Oh, it was you and Thomas. Okay, yeah. there you go. <laughs> Thomas, until you get kicked off the back porch. And uh it, obviously, this was times of COVID, and there were certain parameters that were attempted. That had to nothing to do place. with it. I know. I'm just trying to set the scene here. And someone came out acting as a employee of the resort. They were and, dressed
1: like one, too, damn it.
0: And told Justin to he couldn't smoke there, so Justin was very very upset. I went and found management, and management walked me outside to show me. He's like, "Well, I don't know who that was because we would never tell you that you can't smoke outside. You're on vacation. You're at a resort, and if you'll notice to our left, there are multiple ashtrays because that's our quasi smoking section to make it you know more easily accommodating." Here's so I don't know, what
1: it was. I don't know what happened. Okay, we were I, sitting at our table
3: level or like on your own balcony or like
1: no like on the back porch with like the little bar and everything (laughs) yeah Yeah. like
3: a tiki bar
1: but this guy came out and it like had he come up and asked me and thomas quietly and nicely that would have been one thing but he came out and he's like sir and i was like there's like a million people out back so i'm like who and he's you know can you read and i was like "I i think so and he points to a sign that says like no smoking or something like that. And I'm like looking around there's like 20 people off to our left in a circle, smoking cigarettes closer to the door than we were. And so I was just kind of like, sure. I mean, I'm like, I'm not a confrontational person. I was like, yeah, it's, whatever, that's fine. I don't sure. So me and Thomas went and sat out the little clock fountain thing
2: yeah.
1: and I stewed over it. Cause I was like, this is, I don't understand because there's still a bunch of people up there smoking.
0: So I don't And just just for the record, for those of you chiming in, uh telling me that I was Karening out.
1: <laughs> I your marriage, I, uh,
0: I was not being a Karen. It was literally me just asking. We were in this hey, confusion because yeah, I told Phil like, and he was like, What? I was there's like, yeah. as- there's ashtrays on the table. Like I don't get it. You know what I mean? So
3: not now to- we know. Like when we go to places like Tinley, Arlington, Pomona, Daytona, like I bring up those four, but those are like the four biggest ones that we do every year. When we go to those, dude, I walk into like let's say Tinley. I walk in and I'm like, hey, what's up, Juan? Dude, Juan and Jose, both the bartenders at Tinley, Chicago, Tinley Park. I see them twice a year. But when I walk in, they actually got me my own bottle of Basil Haydens and put it behind the bar. And They ordered it in special and it's there for me every single year because when we walk in, they're like, oh, the snake guys are back and they know, they know who we are and what we do. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're part of the snake guys. Like, bro, like you guys, you guys just bought half our hotel. Like you do what you do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And Like there's an aspect of that as well where. Yeah, man, if you were just like a dude on vacation, maybe.
1: I was ambushed. Okay. But when you say yeah, that- it, w- it happened so fast, I couldn't even react. He just Let came ask- out, asked if I could read. And I said, Yes. And he said, What's that sign say? And I had never seen that sign before in my life either. Like they have it in this position where, unless you're looking into the like window of the back of the cat, like looking at the back of the uh, front desk clerk's heads, you wouldn't see it.
3: Oh, yeah. So and I was it- like,
1: Unless there's something I just didn't know. I-
3: store, it went all the way to Daytona Beach, Florida on the cabana floor looking out into the ocean past the clock tower watching the water late at night watching casey cannon look for his flip flop and like and like the the no smoking sign is like 13 feet yeah 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 that's what it is
2: yeah exactly it's that way (coughs) yep
3: why first of all why are you at daytona beach and not on the sand is my first question
0: but we were there. I don't, know. I, we, don't I don't we, like... We, we were there. We just weren't smoking on there. <laughs> that was also Not the much... point where I had to walk Justin back to his hotel room. Mm. Per his wife's uh, request.
2: Fair. Her
0: words verbatim were: make sure he makes it back alive.
3: <laughs> so That's a lot of responses.
1: Right? <laughs> well, Dom only made that worse. Right, she did. She's an Instagramer. She... Forced vodka down my throat.
0: Yeah. And, and Steve Poole, you better show up at Daytona this year, man, because I'm not going to carry it out unless you're there with me.
3: Who's Steve Poole? Do I know him?
0: He's a fellow Morelia, Morelia friend. Uh, does, he, does he like Venomous stuff? Uh, I don't know. who's Yeah, Steve. I don't think he's doing Venomous right now, but I could be wrong. I've been mistaken before.
3: Well, tell, just tell him if he, if he comes to Daytona, I'll give him a shirt.
0: There you go, Steve. You heard it you go. from the horse's mouth.
1: I'm probably I need to buy another hat. I got my hat from you last year, <laughs> and it's it's had a rough a rough life so far because a my head is huge and b it's gotten it's collected a lot of sweat. Well, you just and so did, I'm just gonna buy a new one each year.
3: Did you not just get the? Uh, we just launched those. That was our first time ever launching the uh, the black mesh stretch. Yeah, board. yeah. That's what you got.
1: Yep. What it was one of the f- I loved it because it was one of the few hats that actually fit my head.
3: Oh, cuz it was the XL mesh. Yeah. No worries. I'll bring you that. I'll bring you one, man. Don't Sean wait.
1: said I'll be hey, Sean. Working. Look at that. Awesome. MP cages awesome. and Exotics. Yo. Th yeah. THP sponsor.
3: Yeah. Wait, man. No, that's awesome. And he'll be he'll be a Daytona. We got our four tables set up for Daytona, so we're, we're kind of locked in for the same four tables in the same spot that you guys saw us last time.
0: Awesome, and that's a great spot too, man. Because like, it's not it, it's it's <laughs> uh, five bathrooms. What, when you, what I was gonna say is, it's right when you come in because there's the thing is, there's show layout, right? Yeah. And like, there's a lot of people that try and they try and get certain tables because of the. The, uh, uh, the theories they have in their mind, but your spot is perfect in terms of walkways, right?
3: Well, yeah, you're absolutely right, man. And so that, okay, yeah, that is back to the, like, okay, this is gonna kind of be the theme of the show. If you want to do a show, let's talk about this. <laughs> like right. The theme of tonight, right?
2: Mm hmm.
3: Let's talk about that because we've talked about do you wanna be the first person that that they see when they walk in. Not necessarily.
0: Not necessarily.
3: Like, Oh, that's really cool stuff. Let me go see what the other 318 vendors has to do. And right.
0: by, do I go clockwise? Do I go counterclockwise?
3: You know what I mean? Or two, do you want to be the last person on, on the way at the door where they're like, man, I haven't found anything I wanted. Oh shit, like now I found something that I really want. It's the end of the day, I might as well just spend the money that I already set aside. Do you want to be the last person or the first person? Because the first person has benefits. Being the last person has its benefits. Do you want to be in the back corner where they're like, hey, I'll circle back. And you're like, yeah, right. You'll never find it <laughs> Even if you wanted to, right? There's a lot of theories behind on where you want to be in the show, man. And I think that depending on the show actually matters. Show layout is a huge deal for us. Yeah. But if you, but honestly, like, you have to earn that position. Sure. Whether sure. it yours in. Whether it's working your way into that position, whether it's spending more money than anybody else, being a premium sponsor at ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year, whatever it takes yeah. to be in that position. Um other personal favors, whatever you have to do to get that spot. <laughs> but like not that I do that, but I'm just saying, like if you want to have those special spots, like you have to kind of earn that position. Yeah. But if you want the back spot. It might be easier to get than the front spot, but like, what is the best spot in a show? And I think yeah. that that's a really interesting psychological concept because sure. you have, you know, you have a 50-50 shot. If somebody walks in, they like, oh, I've needed a hook for a long time. I'm going to buy the first one I see. Alternatively, the yeah. other, they're like, I really wanted a hook. You're the first thing I saw. Let me see what the other 380 vendors have to, to show me and right. I'll come back if you're The best one there's a good chance they're going to find something else that's better, more convenient, but on the way and never come back so like, at what yeah. point is a good place in a show, a good place. That's an interesting thing for me. And we're yeah. still figured out.
0: And see, I, I have particular, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's OCD or like, just like my way of negotiating the obstacles of a show. Um, I'm usually a go left kind of guy. And it obviously depends on where the door is, depends on the, the floor layout and, you know, how big the room is, how deep the room is, you know, in which way the aisles are presented, you know? Um, and hope hopefully it's still a normal grid fashion. But I'm more of the, I, I like to go to the left because in my mind, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down the first aisle on my left which and I'm going to... S- grain. Which is what?
3: Against the grain.
0: Which is against the grain, right? <laughs> I'm going to go first aisle on my left. And I'm going to go sh- follow the left side all the way down then I'm going to make a U-turn and take that same aisle back the way that I came on the, on what would have been the right side. And now I make the U-turn and I do the same thing on that way. And I cover one side, one side, one side, one side, one side, one side. I'm snake my way all the way through. However, <laughs> Daytona. Yeah, exactly. Grocery stores have me trained hundred percent. But however, in Daytona, and I'm, I shouldn't say this. I'm going to give away a, one of my personal secrets. Daytona. I make sure that before I walk in the building, I know where the bookseller, the gentleman from New York, I find out where he is. My- because my goal is to basically blow <laughs> off the entire show, go right to that book guy, buy whatever literature I can, and then go start my show. Because so- I know that if I don't, I'm gonna miss out on something. Real quick. Yeah. I
3: have to chime in on that, and then we're gonna- or the last two questions. First, we just talked on Thursday night on the podcast. I showed you guys that stack of quick stack of seven yeah. books. Yes. Every single one of those I got from Michael. There you go. Every single one of them. Yep. And is I'm moving from Rodeo, New Mexico to New York. I can't take every. I'll give you a good deal. And I was like, I'll take these. Yeah. Like 37 books. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I bought them all at once. And that was from him. So that... If anybody listened to the podcast from last Thursday, that was uh the quick story of how like here's a short stack of some of my venom books. Right, right. I got all of those from him that day, man. I mean, I I, I see him every chance I get.
0: Every chance, yeah. You know, and, and like I'm usually good for at least two or three books every day, Tona. Carly, last this this past uh show. Carly, I don't even know what she spent, but she got like 12 or Dude. 13 books. Yeah, she yeah, she she saved. Space and weight in her main luggage because she lives obviously far away, she had to fly in. She saved space and weight in her luggage, specifically knowing that she was going to come home with, with extra weight of books. So rock and roll. You what know, a nerd. You know? And, and again, it's also so here's super
3: sorry. If you guys yeah. haven't been to Daytona, you can come see us at Daytona. Because yeah. we're all free there. Yeah. An absolute blast. See nah. my
1: tactic my tactic is, is I do a quick scan, find the tables that have beards or anything else I'm shopping for. And then once I figure out sort of who has what and what pricing is, I then adjust accordingly, buy what I want to get, and then I kind of circle around and, and look, do like the detailed look. I'm like a laser focused get in, get out. Yeah. Get what yeah, I need and then then mingle.
0: Yeah. and pool pool said it best carly cleaned up at carpet fest i think she got every book
1: oh my god
0: you know and then dominique also just commented that she i was mistaken she did not leave extra room in her luggage she checked an empty bag to bring books home from daytona
3: wow that's dedication man yeah hell out of that Mm -hmm. so to be clear if you guys have ever seen like nfl all access when there's like the three dudes at the end of the super bowl that are up in the booth and they're like 3,700 people watching with signs but there's only three people on camera we're doing that this daytona yes and the three of us are doing that because we talked about it last time but yeah personal issues with uh a hot girl that was crazier than she was hot and
0: (laughs) how's that scale go
3: (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's Like, uh, I think in a scientific term, it's called ex- exponential growth.
0: Yes, yes, exactly.
3: <laughs> Pretty sure that's what it's called? Yeah. Um, yeah, so so I had some personal issues that did not allow us to do the live snakes and stogies. However, this Daytona, I don't even care if you guys want to talk about it or not. I'm going to put it out there right now. That you, me, and Justin, Phil, because I know Justin's not looking – me, you, and Justin, Phil, <laughs> are, what are you talking going talking about? To do a live Snakes and Stogies it's Yes. NFL All Access. There's going to be fans in the back with signs like,
2: I love your mustache, Phil, <laughs> and Justin,
3: and there are going to be fans in the background, and we're going to do a live Snakes and Stogies from yeah. Daytona.
0: Justin, sign my Bears ride. Mm.
3: <laughs>
1: There's probably going to be a bunch of people in the background staring at us like, what the Phil, fuck are these guys doing? I- I- wait.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, 100%. So I want to throw that out there cuz we are doing that this year. I don't care what you guys say. Hell yeah,
0: and and we got to make sure that Billy doesn't have any flat tires.
1: <laughs> yeah, that definitely will help.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so yeah, so I blame it on I blame it on the girl, but um to be fair, that was a huge issue for me. However, um I wasn't the only one that had issues at Daytona. So, yeah. Here's the reality, man. If you going to Daytona and you don't have issues, you didn't do it right exactly (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) like there should be some sort of complication or you didn't put in effort that's really down to yeah because daytona is a blast man like there's a reason we all still talk about it there's a reason it was one of the first shows in the country it used to be the biggest country it was the first venomous show in the country and there's a reason it's still on the map yeah and uh that's because Shit, man. And his name if, is, is
1: Wayne Hill.
3: When you're at the resort and you finish the show, do we went and spent like I don't even know what it was? I think there was four of us, and it was like $487 for dinner. Oh, that's awesome. About, like Australian wagyu beef and like whole like clam and shrimp and crab platter appetizers, <laughs> like white wine. Like it was crazy. The, 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 the food there is amazing. Then we went to
1: Johnny was Johnny Rockets.
3: Yeah, we went to Johnny Rockets because oh, yeah. everything had a crazy line. We yeah, did not get tired. Australian wagyu beef at a hundred dollars a person at Johnny Rockets, I can assure you. It's the one in the basement, like in, in downstairs in the resort, halfway between the right exit and the, the yeah right, west exit. So we went there and it, it was not cheap, however, I mean it's part of the experience that we go for. And then you get to walk out back and you have a whole cabana. Then you have the grass. Then you have the benches with the sidewalk and the clock tower and the live music. And then you walk 15 feet and you're on the ocean. We're looking at stingrays and shark teeth and... and
1: Casey stingray. Cannon.
3: And like, dude, you name it. I was catching... <laughs> I have video. I'll, I'll even post it with you guys if you want. I had video me last year. Three o'clock catching fish by hand. I'm watching them roll up in the tide and I'm just grabbing them by hand, just holding whole fish and putting them back. Like Gollum. Yeah, dude, it was nuts, man. Like it's that that's part of the experience of going to Daytona. And like it's not the reptiles are cool, don't get me wrong. But that's I, not the only reason we go.
0: I have I have one thing that's, to say. That's my- yeah, I have one thing to say to sum up that beautiful beautiful speech. And this is the one thing that I'm going to say.
2: God damn it! <laughs> You're the worst.
1: Ah, uh, no. And then Thomas says syrup, syrup shots. Yes, thank you oh, all.
3: Syrup shots.
1: Ugh. I was obliterated
3: at our at our table last year in Daytona um we we had a table up front at the auction on Saturday night and I think we spent fifteen hundred dollars $1, eleven hundred dollars Chris nettles over at sea serpents spent like over a thousand dollars on a hundred jello shots and then when they came to the table just handing them out I think we took we all took like five or ten or fifteen I don't even remember like in the first three minutes and we just yeah it's 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 a it's a crazy deal, man. It's a crazy deal. It is. You have the chance to go to Daytona because it's. Yeah. And you ba- don't you're drink to...
1: whatever Dom DeFalco gives you.
0: That that is true. That is true. And if she says, "Oh no, I can't
3: bring it back with me," that's a lie. It's a yeah. lie.
0: That's a lie.
1: I fell for <laughs> it. It's too late for me, but you can still save yourselves.
3: My my only rule is I I don't like raspberry roofies. So if it's like, <laughs> I'm in
0: watermelon.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. like, like
0: <laughs> I just I just know what Matt Moe's quote. incoherent gibberish is the best kind of gibberish
3: <laughs> fair enough all right so what else are we' gonna talk about let's talk about
1: I saw a black Mamba byte account on Facebook today that I thought was interesting and since we haven't done a byte report in a while
3: <laughs> so that was on the uh most neglected tropical disease page.
1: Was it? There was another yeah. group. It was uh I don't know. It's a group I joined today that had a bunch of African snakes and stuff. And it I my my inner Phil got all excited.
3: Yeah. So if you look at the uh the snake bite most neglected tropical disease page, it's the first thing on there. And that was shared to everything like Venom interviews, ASF, all that stuff. So I yeah, was it I the, one the
1: one from page. the eleventh. Huh? Was it the one from the eleventh?
3: Yeah, but it was posted today. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what are you? Are you going over it? Are you going to talk I'm, about it? But okay. yeah, I mean, I'll I'll read it. We're gonna watch you read it. Like, what are you? The, uh, yeah, w-
0: what's that page that you just said? The most neglected tropical disease page.
3: Yeah, yeah. So it's uh it's it's called it's called snake bite. I think it's venomous snake bite. Most neglected tropical disease. If you do most neglected tropical, it should pull up on Facebook. Well, Philly, I just did it. it, it
0: didn't. Uh Venomous Snake
3: Bite Hold on. On. Hold on. Let me look most at neglected. Oh actually I took a screenshot of that. Actually I took a screenshot of that picture today. Hold on. I'll tell you right now what it is. I screenshot everything. Now people are just watching the three of us on our, on our phone. Yeah, Watching the three of
0: us stare intently at
3: the screen.
1: God, these knock-up tamale are so good.
3: I at yeah. It. I can't,
0: I can't find it. And I spelled neglected properly. Prove it. Uh-huh.
3: All right. Well, now you guys get to watch me look at my phone while you're on the phone. So. Yep.
0: God forbid I, we did this ahead of time.
3: <laughs>
1: I had it ready and pulled up since like 11 a.m. I just copied and pasted all the text. And what? And I was ready.
3: But it's not ready. It is. Okay.
0: I just found the group. And.
3: What is on
1: your hat? Is that like two squirrels making out? Like what? What am I looking at?
0: What? No, man. You don't know what that is? Oh. Hey, Justin. That's a a Marco Polo sheep. Gargoyle. It's a Marco Polo sheep. Marco Polo Ram.
3: So Ray Morgan posted it in the Venom News, and the page it originally posted from was Snakebite Assist.
1: Yeah, that's the group that I joined. That's the group that I saw it in.
3: Oh, so there you go. So, but there was three Snakebite things that I saw today, and one of them was most neglected tropical disease. Phil, I'll send you an invite for that one because I have. To. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because I'll just it's... Go fuck myself,
0: Brent. What? Yeah, so,
1: definitely fuck myself.
0: send me the invite because it wants me to write a dissertation and I'm not gonna do that live on the air with you guys. So it's
1: because you're not, <clears throat> not credentialed enough, is that why?
0: Apparently. Story of my life. Can't get on ResearchGate because I'm not smart enough.
3: That's the, that's the only reason I have like 15 titles. <laughs> that's the only reason. Ben we, uh... Oh, that has more more titles than I do. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get him on here too. Let's do
1: it. I and always I always I, want to, but I, I feel like we're not cool enough. Huh? For a lot of guys, I feel like we're not cool enough.
0: Yeah, I feel like Ben's a really honestly a busy guy, and when he's not busy, he kind of I'm sure he wants to just sit around and not talk about this shit.
3: <laughs> That's so, true. At the same time, he really loves what he does. He's super passionate, he loves to share the information. You just got you just gotta know him, right? So like Yeah. And if and if you if you know and love his dog and Otis loves you back, it's even easier. As long nice. as your dog loves you, you're good, you're in.
0: So, someone was bit by a black mamba. What's time?
3: Are you are you guys going to talk about this mamba bite account?
0: Yeah, I don't even know what happened. I actually I was going to show if we had a little downtime. Somebody I'm in a uh, several different ID groups for sub-Saharan Africa, uh, different countries, different regions, and somebody in I want to say it was KwaZulu Natal. Posted a picture of a baby, like maybe four or five month old black mamba creeping up on the window or like the sliding glass door, like looking in, looking all like, what's that?
3: Periscoping?
0: Well, periscoping, but literally looking into the window, like evaluating, okay, should I go in there? Can I go in there? But it had like that cute little puppy dog face, this little baby, big eyed, doe eyed mamba, right? And I was going to share that picture, but the bite sounds way more cooler.
3: It's actually not from the picture on it's not a terrible bite. Justin's seen that as well like it's not really that bad of a bite. But like what's on great, the outside. When you work at yeah. So when you, when you when you see mambas, man. Mamba elapids in general, but mambas in particular more so black mambas over the rest of them. I don't know what it is, man. So elapids are incredibly intelligent. Then you get into the mambas all four of them are very smart smarter than a lot of cobras i think and then you get into black mamas in particular and they're like i don't know dude when intelligence wise they're like the smartest of all the dogs at the show kind of thing right they're like they're like the border collies or the german shepherds of like when you're talking about like other dogs like frenchies and whatever like they're they're cute but and and they're not dumb but they're also not like super intelligent black mamas man they're crazy like they they can look at you with their eyes and they're studying you and if you move around the room they'll move to the glass to like watch you and follow you like dude mom, like they're crazy smart crazy smart I, w- I would argue that some of the mamas the black mamas in particular that i've worked with are smarter than some of the parrots that i've been around sure. like, they're, they're stupid smart dude Honestly, terrifyingly smart. Almost like like a serial killer watching you undress and getting ready to get it. Yeah. Well,
2: it's like
0: when, when I always tell people, like, a lot of people don't notice this, but I've worked with more, I don't want to say fresh mambas than, than captive bred stuff. And almost all the blacks that I've ever worked with over the years was through wholesale and they were being imports. A lot of them were adults, a lot of them had been through a lot of stress on their way over here. But there's that classic, uh, what's the word I'm looking for examination of their surroundings when they Uh first enter the enclosure and like seeing the mamba's head, like twitch, you know, and like, look around and just like, I don't know, for those of you who aren't watching, I'm making my hand look like I have Parkinson's and they're scanning that entire cage. And then for the next four or five days, every night, every day, whatever it be, they're going to check every single point of that entire enclosure.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. You, just uber- you just don't see that with other species.
3: Oh. Not even, not even like James <laughs> Western's reasons. Like, they'll do it occasionally. Like, if you get green mambas or West African green mambas, like, you know, Jameson I or, or whatever, like, they'll still do it to a point. But right. for some reason, black mambas are so much more attentive to their surroundings. And to the point, like, they, they will, like, they'll take a bite of the mouse, and then you can see their eyeball move. Their head doesn't move, but their eyeball will move to look at you, watching them eat, and then they'll go back and take a couple of bites and look back at you. <laughs> like they, oh, yeah. like incredibly <clears> offensive <throat> to their surroundings, more so than most snakes.
0: So let me ask your personal opinion. I don't even know what the taxonomy is right now, but do you consider chemosai a Jameson
3: subspecies or no? So if you want to talk my personal opinion.
0: Yeah, your personal opinion
3: subspecies in general is a hard subject for me. As right. a biologist, as a zoologist, as a herpetologist and a snake venomous snake expert whatever, like subspecies in general is a hard thing for me to wrap my head around. Because I'll tell you why. Cuz biologically, generally speaking biologically, they're like the the origin of a species is right. able to reproduce. Sure. Now, I had a bull snake, corn snake hybrid. I've seen lions and tigers. I I mean, at least they're the same genus, right? Bull snakes and corn snakes aren't even the same genus, not even close. Right. And so when I talk about subspecies, I'm like, all right, so there's a a Kistrodon contortrix. Right. Throughout the entire South, right? We have copperheads everywhere. There's like seven subspecies. At what point did they become a subspecies? Like, could they reproduce? Like, yeah. I, have a, I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. And I think that that's that's the whole whole deal biologically, phylogenetically, between lumpers and splitters that we deal with consistently. Where it's like, there's a lot of people out there that want to do splitting consistently. A lot of them, and I'll say this out loud too um it's because they get to be the one to name something because nobody sure else. sure they just want the recognition and that's for yeah. splitters alternatively i i know people personally that have done i caught the first milk snake caught in missouri in this part because there's a county record and i'm like you probably caught it on one side of the road carried it across the other hit your gps like sure I, you're because you drive county roads that this is one county, the grass on 13 feet away is another county. So now you records. We deal with that in herpetologists in field herpetology all the time. And I know people like that. So what's hard for me is to wrap my head around subspecies in general, to be honest. Okay. Like, um, it's 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 tough, man. It's tough for me. That's my personal opinion. Is like subspecies in general, like is is a really hard thing for me to wrap my head around. Yeah. As in my mind, they're like they're they're a kistrdon contortrix. They're a kisserdon paciferus. They're, you know, colubrid, whatever. They are. I I I even even with the the mambas, like the four species of mambas, right. But I, I was looking today, I'm doing a talk for the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts down here in Louisiana on Thursday night. And I was looking at that, and they were like, one page said, six, you know, 48 species of snakes in Louisiana, seven venomous. The other one said the 13 venomous snakes of Louisiana. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. So yeah. One of them was like, copperhead, cottonmouth, timber, pygmy. That seems mm-hmm. fair to me. Sure, one, sure. Eastern cottonmouth, Western cottonmouth, Southern copperhead, Eastern copperhead, broadband and copperhead. And right. like, they're kind of that as five species. I was like, that's for me, that's like cottonmouths and copperheads. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't. And now listen, I'm not saying they may or may not be different phylogenetically, DNA, whatever. But the reality is, depending on how you test the DNA, what you're testing, is it mitochondrial? Is it, is it full DNA? Are you testing for phylogenetics? Are you testing for right. if they can breed or not? Could those things actually breed in captivity? And why, first of all, is somebody in Australia trying to change the entire genus, not species, but genus of Crotalus to something else? Because yeah.
1: they're mentally have, ill, at least that one in particular is. Yeah.
3: What They don't even have... <laughs> Rattlesnakes in your entire country slash continent. Right. And then we're also looking at the same thing where, like, there's other people where we used to have, you know, Sistrurus, which is the pygmies and, you know, basically right. all the pygmy rattlesnakes. Thistur- right. The only rattlesnake in the United States that isn't Crotalis. So we had Sistrurus miliarius, and then that became, you know, cysturis Edward's eye, which was the desert pygmy, and then that turned into Sistrurus miliarius tergeminus, which was the desert pygmy rattlesnake. In that was the desert Massasagua, right? In in Kansas, which was different, apparently from the one in Colorado. Now, yes, they are separated; they're technically on islands. Um, you know, as far as geographically. But they both used to be sisters, you know. And I don't understand how that one became sisters, miliarius, tergeminus, sisters, miliarius, Edward's eye. And now it's just sisters, like tergeminus. Like it's not Mil- miliarius anymore. It became right. own species. And I'm like, who decides that? Yeah. Who gets to vote? Basically, there's. Well, two it's, it's
1: the constant question of. <laughs> Where draw the line? Because it's the same with locality. It's like a point. Yeah, you, you can break it down any further. Yeah. At a point, like it's like it gets. There has to be some sort of threshold, and I would think I, that's the the issue that I've I've had with black me stuff. Is like, why is there no standard of okay if it's this much deviated genetically? How come there's no standard bar where we say okay if it's like at a minimum five percent? whatever, to where they could say, okay, this is definitely something that has separated and evolved.
3: Uh, I'll I'll tell you. Because you either have to have every single scientist agree that the 95% cutoff threshold has to be based on can they evolutionarily in the wild, biologically, on their own, reproduce, or are they related enough to mitochondria to be able to say that they came from the same people or that, I mean, people, the same uh, adults at some point in their Mm -hmm. DNA. And so getting every single scientist to agree on either of those is never going to happen. Alternatively, if you want something to change in taxonomy, it's super simple. Wait for somebody to die or retire because that's the only way it's ever going to fucking happen. You have to wait for somebody to die or retire, period. And so I look at this and I'm like, there's, there's only a few people that actually write the book on this stuff. One of them's dead, but his, his opinion still counts. And, uh, and I'm, I'm okay with that. It was Joe Collins. And so we look at this and it's like, where do you draw the line? It's like every other controversial thing there is. Like we talked about the other night, abortion, guns, religion. Where do you draw the line? You'll never get everybody to agree. You'll never have a line to draw, right?
1: But it's science like that's the thing is it's science where we have standards and we have like measuring sticks and bins to separate things into and it's not necessarily subjective, you know, it's I don't know that that's probably my biggest my biggest gripe is just like this is supposed to be fields where we can reasonably say this is this is what's happening. You know, like the chondro reclassification, like Biox being eleven percent deviated from mainland stuff. Like that's a big gap, right? right. That's right. a massive gap.
3: But let me ask you this: We have so throughout the entire Ozark area, from like the the, the eastern side of Oklahoma, free down through Alabama, Mississippi, into Louisiana, we have the six or seven species. Separate species of slimy salamanders.
1: Oh, those things are the worst.
3: I mean, they're poised slimy salamanders. If, if you look at them at an exam and in a herpetology class, they're almost impossible to identify because they all look exactly the same. Alternative, they're literally on islands, sky islands. They all live on one mountain. So this mountain has this species. This mountain has this species. So now when you get into Sky Islands, which we have throughout the Southwest in Arizona and parts of New Mexico, we have Sky Islands in the Ozarks with the salamanders. And based on my opinion of not liking subspecies, I know that they exist, and I'll recognize them. Don't get me wrong. But if you think I'm going to memorize every single subspecies of every single thing out there, you're freaking crazy. I don't have the time or anything. Yeah, it's yeah. A copperhead. Sorry, like, it's a Kishidon and like that. See, it. I
1: don't know. That's so hard for me to get on board with, because you have, like, Transpecos.
3: Yeah.
1: It looks so yeah. wildly different from anything in the Southeast. I've never seen a Southeast Copperhead that looks like a Transpecos, or, you know, like, Northerns and stuff. I I can kind of get behind them yeah. being close enough to where we can't yeah. separate them. But, like, Feagaster, Latacinctus, like...
3: Listen. I don't disagree with that. My this <laughs> if it's really that different, make it a separate species. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a subspecies anymore. Right. right. If it's really that different and and what you're really basing it on is what it looks like, then why is it the same species to begin with? Yeah. Like talk about blacktails for a second. You have molossus and obsoletus. One is west Texas platinum silver gray the other one is bright yellow with a super super black pattern super black tail they live 30 miles from each other don't cross each other they probably don't ever physically come in contact in their range and they they actually split those into two separate species that both used to be crotalis mellosis mellosis crotalis mellosus obsoletus now it's Cortalis, obsoletus. They became two separate species. I'm a much bigger fan of that, and I don't know if that makes me a lumper or a splitter by definition. Probably right. in a sense. But what I'm telling, like what I'm telling you, is yeah, I, I agree with you as a trampe- transpecos. dude. It's so different from all the other rat snakes It's So different. It's its own species. Why does it have to be a subspecies of anything? What yeah, I
1: get what you're saying. Now it's like, are are we yeah. splitting hairs because it has to be split? Yeah, are we splitting dude. hairs because we want to? Like, That's, yes, yeah. there is some differentiation, but is it okay. as extreme as as it as we're wanting it to be?
3: Like, like let's talk about like okay, so let's let's go on this tangent real quick. Lamper Peltids. Sure. One of the most digru- diverse groups in the country. Not anymore. All of them, <laughs> all of the speckled the prairie Kings. Uh, like, you name it, dude. Yep. Like Not, you know, not anymore. Dude, like, lamper pelts are some of the, like, one of the biggest diverse groups in the country. Yeah. Uh, and you look, like, we have, like, nine of them in, in, in Louisiana alone. Right. And a Holbrook Eye looks nothing like a Melanogaster, looks nothing, or a Caligaster, looks nothing. Mm-hmm.
1: Scarlet okay. Kings, like, how is that even <laughs> a kink Have you seen yeah. a Scarlet Kings, like, structurally and size wise? It doesn't yeah. even compare to anything.
3: They don't even look like Eastern milk. Yet. Yeah. I mean, Pattern wise, they do, but nothing else. It's not the same animal. So, like, why are, oh, yeah, the whole a laugh, he put a laugh in. That's
1: That's another. Yeah.
3: yeah. So, oh, so, we, we, we need to get been Chris Payne Shab
1: on yeah. here for that one.
3: That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother yeah. Monday night. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, we could talk about that, too, right? Like, I fully agree that a lampropeltis holbrookai is not the same ant- animal as a Caligaster. Sure. As, uh, I mean. Alterna, right? Alterna? Yeah.
1: yeah. That's like the ant. I've called them the anti-kingsnake for a while, because they're nothing like any of the Easterns, any of the Brooks, oh. any of the, like, the, the Blacks.
0: And hey, mm-hmm. go go south of the border. Think yeah, about yeah. that. I mean, the tricolors—it's still you know, leopard Yeah, yeah. And that, that goes to that famous saying: "Is all king snakes are milk snakes, but not all milk snakes are king snakes."
3: I yeah. Oh, you know? no, but still, like, I don't know, man. That's that's a hard thing to wrap my head around too. So yeah. like, so like, you know, that's just a perfect group, dude. Like, so, and then you look at a group like thamnophis, which is arguably as big in the United States. alone. As mm-hmm. the lab melted, because you have, what, 17- 1,700
0: species? Yeah,
3: you have <laughs> species alone of thamnosis, if not yeah. more. Yeah. Not including subs- like, because you have, in, in in Louisiana alone, we have eight. Right, right. Species, which I think is a silly thing anyways, but that's a whole story. But you have eight, right? So you have, like, eastern, and then you have eastern-eastern, the subspecies, and then you have ribbon snakes and then you have eastern ribbon snakes and then you have western ribbon snakes and I'm like, dude, that's stamnopus Proximus. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. At what point do you stop? Right? And that, okay. that's so hard for me. So, back to your original question, in my mind, there's four types of mambas. Sure. There's dendro okay. A- Beardus, angusticeps, Epps, Jamisoni, and, and Polylepis. Right. Like, okay. Western, Eastern, Black, and Central. Like that's there's four types among us. That's the way I yeah. see. Yeah. And, and and to be honest, a lot of that is in Venom labs and doing venom work and venom whatever. Like we still deal with to a point, depending, depending on if it's research or anti-venom or whatever else. We still in the in the venom and anti venom world for science, we still deal with where did they come from? Right, Right. But when you get into the subspecies stuff, like really, I mean, hold on. I might've lost my camera. So like, let's look, Mojave's are the same thing. Yeah. Mojave have a, the only thing that separates Mojave's is a type B and type A. Type A is all of Nevada into Southern California into the Baja. Right. Arizona and then from Eastern Arizona into New Mexico is B the B complex and a complex. They're the same snake. Yeah. there's No subspecies there. Yeah. But venom composition biochemically is a, not a hundred percent, but completely different. Yeah. It's not even the same venom. Right. Venom changes completely. We see the same thing in prairie rattlesnakes from Colorado to New Mexico, all Crotalis viridis. There is no change. There is no island. There is no, no subspecies. Right. It's Crotalis viridis in Colorado throughout. It's Crotalis viridis in New Mexico throughout. However, we've shown, we, Steve McEasey, of UNC, has shown that You know, there's actually a change in the venom composition. That one of them will have more proteases and less of something else, and the other one will have less proteases and more of something else, and and that is based on the theory that one of them in Colorado, the primary food source is rodents; in New Mexico, the primary food source is lizards. So, like, their venom composition biochemically can completely change across their own range. Yeah. So, the ones in New Mexico don't physically breed with the ones in Golden, Colorado. How is that not a? Species? They physically don't breed together. Mainly, yeah. they have a fifteen hundred mile gap between yeah. them. Yeah. But there's no break in there. So at what point they physically don't breed? <clears throat> Biology and what makes a species like. They those two fish don't breed together, so what makes it yeah. species, right? Yeah, sure. So yeah, maybe we so should do I what do 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 dart dart they do with dart frogs. What's that?
1: So maybe they should say? just do it like what they do with dart frogs, where like they're all tinctorious, but they're like the locality of that tinctorious. So you well, have that's
3: not true. genus, you, thing. Know, you have you have phylobates. <laughs> There's multiple different genus as well.
1: I'm saying specific species, like they you have Tinctorius that look wildly different from one another. They're still Tinctorius, but they just come from a different part of that range. Right. Yeah,
3: they Even mean, though they, they may mean, not
1: look yeah. anything alike aside from body structure, right.
3: Dendrobatis tintor, But they still, but those are considered subspecies
0: no yeah they they, they, just they, they were yeah but they were they had fallen subject to the same thing that the king snakes and the copperheads did where you have you know one primary species of chain king you know uh, lamber peltis and their gutula excuse me and then you have 15 gutula blah blah blahs after that you know my favorite king snake outer banks king snake only comes from the outer banks islands in north carolina that's lamber peltis uh uh i just said it wow yeah, and then uh, stickiceps. yeah, Stichiceps. eye is Goinei. another one. Goyne is another one, right? Groin eye, yeah. Ap- Apalachic a- colon king snake looks nothing like a brook's eye, you know what I'm saying? Or a fl- or whatever the hell they're calling it. Oh,
3: I would say, arguably, that looks the most closely related to out of all the king snakes. Oh,
0: well, yeah. But again, it still, still doesn't look the same.
3: No, no, but it looks totally different from wildly yeah. different from all the but like, at what point do you draw the line? And that's what—that's the thing that I want to know. Like, I think it's a fantastic question. At what point? line? Sure. So for me, it's like this is a king site. You know, it's a king snake. This is a Holbrook eye. This is a gutella. This is a—you know what I mean? And like, and if you want to talk common names, that's a milk snake. Right. Whether it's a milk snake, Eastern milk snake, whatever—it's a milk snake. Sure. That lives in Louisiana. And and though I want to be about my education, yeah, I could learn them all. But let me let me put it to you this way. I also dabble in entomology. By the way, that's my second love behind herpetology. So I could literally look at almost every insect in the world and get it down to family like that. I spend a lot of time on entomology. That being said, you know, when I'm looking at something, I'm like, that's a cockroach. Yeah, we have different things, but when it goes down to family, plattoidia, there's a reason a that... bug. But that's the thing though, when people study (laughs) moths and butterflies, they study moths and butterflies, not moths and butterflies and mosquitoes, not moths and butterflies and roaches, not moths and butterflies and stick bugs. Like they'll dabble in the rest, but that's why, you know, there, there's entire groups of people that specialize in you and you have to pick your specialization. Sure. Sure. And an order <laughs> not to do that, and that's one of the reasons I think so muddled, to be honest. Yeah. I mean when you're if if you're an you know, an orthopteran, that's what you specialize in, period. If you're a platodian, that's what you do. Like and and these guys go through and they specialize in certain types of insects. Because there's no no way you can learn all the insects in all of the world. Yeah. 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 There's I mean, how so many? Yeah.
1: Not gonna
0: happen. Four
3: hundred sixty-two species of ground beetle in Kansas. Think about Just it. Just Kansas. Just Kansas. Four hundred species yeah. of ground beetle in Kansas. Wrap your head around that.
0: It's crazy. You and like, yeah. And the reason yeah, why I brought up,
3: I'll be experts on all of the snakes, and it drives me nuts, dude. Because it's not possible. Yeah. i think that's yeah. get muddled man is everybody yeah. wants to be expert in everything and we can't just be like i'm a king snake guy i'm a colubrid guy i'm a racer guy i'm a thamnophis guy if we did that like they do in insects we could have real experts doing real work on real shit all of the time but we don't because everybody wants to be experts on everything yeah that's, that's why i'm in the face and be like, <laughs> Aurelia? That's, that sounds cute I don't know what the hell that is I'm a venom yeah right like yeah. I do know what that is but I'm just saying in yeah. general yeah but I choose i I chose my lane and I went with it sure and I know quite a bit about most of them just like a guy who does butterflies for a living probably knows quite a bit about stick bugs
0: yeah
3: yeah but I just I asked about the the, the species and subspecies of stick bugs out as a as a butterfly expert right right and and the fact that we don't do that i think is the real problem that's my opinion yeah yeah
0: or the fact that
1: sicko put rhino rats in
0: ganyasoma oh here we go all right so since since you're a bug guy like all right so i brought up the whole kimosai thing because I, we were talking about you know mamba intelligence and, and in my personal observation the ones that i've Perceived to be the subspecies, they act totally different than any other of the green type mambas. But going they're to Central, c- what's that?
3: They're not the same animal. They're not. They're not the same animal at so all.
0: No. At all. Um, yeah. Uh, but going back to bugs, so like, all right, Centroides gracilis, bark scorpion, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'll say Florida bark scorpion. You get stung by one in southern Georgia. And your hand hurts, and you go, damn, that hurt. I, I'm not gonna do that again. You get stung by one of the Florida Keys, and you want to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. You get stung by one in Panama, you're gonna die. How is Wild that the same? Snake. How is yeah.
3: that the same species? You know what I mean? Well and it's, it's like, how does it even happen?
1: No different than Mojave rattlesnakes, I'd imagine.
3: That's exactly it. So Mojave rattlesnakes is a perfect example. Also, like look at like I said with the prairie rattlesnakes, yeah. The Mojave. Same species throughout the range, but they have two different venom compositions. We've yeah. shown that, that prairie rattlesnakes throughout the range just and keep in mind prairie rattlesnakes have one of the largest ranges of all the venomous snakes in the world. They go from parts of Canada throughout the entire US into a part of Mexico. Like yeah. that big range yeah. for one snake, one species. But we know that the venom composition changes. Not to mention what's really cool about the prairie rattlesnake in particular is that they actually from youth from juvenile to adults their venom composition changes. So we've actually shown that because they eat bugs and grasshoppers and crickets and things like that as juveniles and then grow up to eat mice, rats, birds in one place and lizards and other snakes in another place that they have two different venoms as they grow up but both of those venoms is called endogenetic shift. Yeah. Um, So, in that, we show that juveniles have a different type of venom. So, a, a big part of the myth about baby rattlesnakes are more dangerous than adults because they yeah. can't venom. Yes, they can control their venom. And in fact, if you told me I had to get bit by something with a venom gland this big or a venom gland this big, I'm gonna choose the little one ten times out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it gave me a hundred percent, because they couldn't control it hundred percent of a quarter versus a hundred percent of a dollar bill size gland yeah or fifty percent of a dollar bill size gland versus a hundred percent of a quarter size gland is still yeah. less venom yeah so I'll take that every day that's not the problem the problem is some of them have again like the the different venom compositions enzymes and proteins in the juveniles versus the adults it changes biochemically. So, they have ontogenetic shift. God, that's hard to say. Ontogenetic shift from juveniles to adults. Then we also show that different adults in different places can be full size adults, seven years old, four feet, same weight, but they have completely different venom compositions. And they're only f- five hours away. You could drive mm-hmm. hours and find two completely different types of venom compositions. So, I mean, venom is venom, right? Scorpions are no different. Depending on their prey, depending on how much they actually have to fight off, some of them are fighting off bigger, meaner things. Yeah. Over time, evolutionarily, they've developed a more toxic to mammal types of venom. Keep in mind that most venoms are defensive. Some are offensive. So when we talk about snakes, snake venom is primarily offensive. There's no there's no snake venom that's defensive in particular aside from spitting cobras and things like that. Right. When you get into things like bees and wasps, there's nothing offensive about that. They don't use that to get their food. Yeah. That is 100% defensive venom. Yeah. So there's there's in in, in fishes, sea snakes, sea snakes are offensive. Stone fishes are defensive. Right. And aquatic. So there's, there's offensive and defensive venoms. And that's something that we have to keep in mind when we talk about venom in particular. So when you talk about scorpions, if they spend most of their time subduing larger prey, subduing mammals versus mammals, you need more things like ACE inhibitors and things like that where they're actually stopping the heart and the metabolism of an ectotherm whereas if your, are if your entire goal is to take over other scorpions yeah because that's your job like the african fat tails and things like that right right completely different type of venom because your venom has to be specific to other arthropods
0: yeah and, you, and we're, we didn't even bring up the fact of like
3: scorpions having binary venom
0: yeah and you only using one opposed to both you yes. know yeah
3: That's also one hundred percent true. So, so that's one of the things. Like venom is a very specific thing, and and when people forget to talk about like venom is venom is venom is venom, and that's one of the reasons I have such a hard time getting on board with the whole. Verandas being venomous. Take that into into consideration, and technically, ticks are venomous. Mosquitoes are venomous. (laughs) Like, by definition. Right. All to an, an antiseptic, anticoagulant.
0: A modified enzyme.
3: Yeah, dude. Right. Oh, right. Like, what point do you draw the line? Again in science, what point do you draw the line? Uh, yeah.
0: So
3: why I rude. can
1: see that being something it's where it's not it's not so black and white. It's not so cut and dry. It's not it's, at all. You know, there's, all. there's especially, I mean, even in general, when you I hear people talk about how snake, you know, rattlesnakes have hemotoxic venoms. It's like there's so much more at, at play than yeah. just that.
3: There, it's have, not nearly that simple neurotoxic um like th- there's so many different types of venom but it's, it's like you know like i said let's just talk about the example of aquatic things right sea snakes aquatic that is very much an offensive venom
1: it has a specific purpose
3: cone snails super offensive in fact cone snails have there, there's been cone snails found out there. So think about this. Most snakes have 7 to 15 different types of proteins and enzymes primarily.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: That's a good average, 7 to 15. There's been one cone snail found that had 137 different types of proteins and enzymes in one snail.
0: That's, That's crazy.
3: One snail, dude. Yeah. Of protein enzymes. Like, what do you use that for as a snail? But they're using cone snail venom for like multiple types of cancer research, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. I mean, it's one of the most – the cone snail venom in particular, out of all the venoms in the entire world, is the most elaborate, extensive, well-produced natural toxin on the planet Earth. Nothing on the planet from plants to insects even comes close to what the cone snail can do. And what's crazy about that is it's all offensive. There's nothing defensive about it. Now, don't get me wrong. You put your hand on a cone snail in the wild, it's going to stab you. But it's not designed to be defensive. Right, right. Like venom and snake. Or, I mean, bee venom and wasp venom and, and ant venom.
0: Stonefish, lionfish.
3: Stonefish, lionfish. Like, all of those are defensive venoms. They're meant to be defensive. But sea snakes, on the other hand, look at jellyfish. What do jellyfish use their venom for? Catching food. They're making
1: making people pee on each other.
3: Yeah. Uh Yeah. If you're into that, they're perfect for it. But honestly, like, they're probably one of the best examples of a 50 50 split because they have an incredibly well derived venom for offense and defense. Right? Like, bees and wasps. It would work for both, but they don't have any reason to use it for offense, so it's not even a thing. Right. Snakes is right. offense. It happens to work good for defense for, for some people, but it's meant as an offensive thing. Yeah. And Most just
1: so people time, understand, when he says offense, he means like prey acquisition. Yes.
3: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying that for every one of them, because spitting Cobras are obviously right. a very special case. Um, but in general, right? I'm saying in general.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
3: you know, you look at other things like scorpions. Is that offense or defense? Both. both. Yeah,
0: it's, it's both.
3: Right. Mostly defense when it comes to subduing prey. Uh, I'm sorry. Mostly offense when it comes to subduing right. prey. eating and things like that, predigestive dig- enzymes, which it has. Alternatively, it fights other scorpions and kills. Right. The-
0: yeah. No, and
3: and we, to be able to, and also usually eats them, um, to be able to establish dominance, to be able to get the females. It also works as a very well defense against humans and mammals and coyotes and foxes and things like that. So they yeah. also be well derived offensive and defensive venom. But right. no venoms are created equal, and that goes from species to species, and even in the same species across its range. So I want to make that clear when I talk about venoms like that's a super touchy thing when you're talking about like scorpions for instance yeah um we we see this we see venom change from juveniles to adults over three years the whole hmm. venom switches because they go from insects to mammals or yeah. insects, whatever so that what they produce enzymes and protein wise changes as they grow but it also across their range because of their primary food source, but in snakes, yeah, I
1: mean, even habitat changes,
3: yeah, like,
1: there's onto there's onto genetic shifts in habitat that requires them to have something that's that's suited better for that that particular niche.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you,
0: has has anyone of the species that you've observed having that, you know, baby to adult change, is there has that ever been tested in captivity? If so let's just use Prairie Rattlers, for example, because we were talking about them, right? So your Prairie Rattler has you know, Venom A as a baby and then Venom B as a, an adult. Has anyone noticed that if you just start giving a baby rodents right off the gate, it instantly changes? Or does it still change to adulthood?
3: You know what? That's that's a super interesting question, actually, because I, I truly do not know. And I will tell you right now, I do not know. However, because you asked me that, I will be calling Steve McAsee tomorrow and finding that out. Hell yeah! Now I'm just curious as you are, um, yeah. because I honestly hadn't considered that. Even yes. as a, myself, I haven't considered that.
1: Because I would think no,
3: I don't think so. But let's but let's talk about this. Let's talk about dendrobates because they're 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 poisonous, right? In not in captivity they're poisonous in the wild but if they're born in captivity they're no longer poisonous they're not poisoned dart frogs anymore they're non frogs. but now but and now they still have the toxin though. Them from the wild and put them in in captivity they lose their toxicity over time it will but there's
0: but here's my question though they're still producing said toxin it just doesn't have the same clinical effect correct
1: no, I don't think they're not producing it at all because
0: it's completely I derived from what they well, eat. The al- right? But the alcohol,
3: fires, I don't think at all.
0: Okay, because it was to my understanding, and again, I have no degree in this regard whatsoever. But it was to my understanding that all amphibians, every single one, has toxins. The question is, how are they turned on if they even do turn on? You know, how do how do what's the clinical effect of said toxin? Well, you know, it's like, do I eat a do I eat a in the wild and I die or I eat a tiger salamander in the wild and I just throw up, you know, I, cause I ate a salamander. <laughs> it's
3: all, I don't think it's all amphibians to be clear. Okay. Okay. Because and, and and the reason I say that, and, and I'll have to check to verify because I yeah. do say anything on camera or anything. Yeah. Know, well Again, like, we're spitballing here. Of course. But I, but, but here's my, here's, here's my thing. Like you look at like tetrodotoxins toxins, right? So you're talking mm-hmm. newts and fire belly toads and things like sure. that. One of the worst toxins in the world. And with toads in particular, they have parotid glands and those parotid glands, um, paratoid, whatever you want to call them, like they are, they are specifically for secreting that. So you'll see that in like, like, uh, green frogs and, um, basically any toads, but then you look for neuromoth toads, they don't, Western Mm neuromoth don't have that, but like, like other things like salamanders, you have. Like, just, just in the places that I've been in the Ozarks uh, recently, right? So, you talked about the slimy salamanders earlier. All seven of those species on all seven mountains are black with white spots. Without, without doing DNA testing, if I put all seven of them in front of you, I don't care how good you are, you couldn't tell the seven apart. They look identical.
1: Cryptic diversity like we saw on green trees. And yeah.
3: the, but, these are, but these are all, like, on, like, hundreds of miles away on different mountains, but they all are very, very toxic. When it comes to salamanders in particular, they're super toxic in the U.S. Like, there's not much like it salamander-wise. Mm-hmm. But also have cave salamanders. They're going to be the same place. And I don't think that those are even relatively toxic. if at
1: toxic Marbled quality. salamanders. Yeah. Yeah. Tigers.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but marbled, tigers, and ringed, you can find out in the exact same log. In certain places, yeah. What is the relative toxicity, if at all? So I don't, I don't know that. I mean, let's talk about. All right, let's talk about pipians, right? So you have like green frogs, or Lithobates, right? So you have northern, any, any dude, tree frogs. You tell me, tree frogs are venomous or poisonous? Like, I don't know that yeah. all of them are, right? Also, when it comes to amphibian, you have to talk about amphibinids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those, I don't think those are toxic at all.
0: Yeah. I know, yeah. So the when it comes to
3: amphibians <laughs> the
0: yeah. They just bite the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah.
3: No, but I'm just saying, like, they grab you by the leg and pull you
0: under. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: But, you know, I, I'm just saying, like, when it comes to amphibians, m- a lot of them are, like, yeah. t- for sure. Anything that has a big gland behind the head has toxins. Anything with a red belly, toxic, for sure. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I mean, the reason I think that the. Toxins. Like my take on the whole, you know, are, is their venom shifting in captivity still? Yes or no, or shifting faster. I would think that it would pretty much be the same as if they were in the wild, because you think about how genetically ingrained that is of a process yeah, to happen. Um, and I mean, even like with, with green trees and boiga, you're seeing that ontogenetic shift just in their dietary preferences. Like as babies, they don't really, you can trick them into eating pinkies, but that's not naturally what they'd be eating in the wild. Like right. Especially those baby cyania, those things aren't eating baby mice, man. Like they're tiny, they're eating like the smallest frogs and lizards they can find. And I'd be willing to bet, and I don't know if it's ever been done, uh, that their their composition, you know, of whatever secretions they would have is probably different when they're when they're young compared to when they're older.
3: Sure, sure. Yeah, but it but it but it is a thing though, because like when you take <clears throat> dendrobatids, man, again. You know, the poison dart frogs, when you take those things out of captivity, you can literally go catch one today from Costa Rica, not legally, but bring it home in theory. And in six to eight months, it's no longer toxic.
1: Right. But I'm saying that's because it's it's dietary. Right. Snakes, right but- it's there. They, it's it's carry on. It's it's already there to begin with. It was produced True. Uh, like the, the poison with with and stuff is a. Side, not necessarily a side effect, but a result of what they are eating, and when they're right. not eating that in captivity, they don't have that toxin.
3: Right. With
1: rattlesnakes and stuff, it's already there. Like the the hardware and everything's already in place.
3: But it would be curious for me to find out, like if if the snakes in 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 Colorado, the the prairie rattlesnakes in Colorado, that we know there's ontogenetic shift. So they they go from one thing to the other, they completely shift from like this to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from the go from youth to adult in different proteins and enzymes because they go from eating insects and things like that up to mammals, or do they go like this to this in New Mexico because they go from eating insects to lizards? Right. Well, right?
1: I'd go even further to ask if that, if, how, like, if you're doing in terms of like captive bred animals, how many, like, does, do you see a change? generation to generation, like does that venom change the more captive bred you get? But Ain't no
3: time for that and surely nobody has money for that. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah. you're right, though, that's a good question.
0: Yeah. Because I imagine if you if you had a, a a point scale of one to ten, right? So your 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 brand new fresh out of the womb, so to speak, prayer rattler, you know, is a is a number one and a seven year old adult is a number ten, right? And it takes the f- five to seven years, whatever, to get to that number ten, right? But if I just start feeding it fuzzies and pinkies right off the bat,
3: does it change more quickly in the first right.
0: six months? Does it get to seven or eight? Uh,
3: all that tells me is that you should probably be doing your your PhD dissertation right now on exactly <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> doing rinks, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> that's a whole other monster. And like, it, it's funny because I was gonna I was gonna bring up the rinks and that that one. Slow motion thing that the guys in England did because we got to talk about that. But, with uh, the, but quick,
1: like the spitters and the, the yeah, doc, yeah, yeah, yeah. We so, talked about that briefly pretty yeah, we're, early we're, on, we're, but we'll
0: we'll talk about it again because my my thoughts have evolved a little bit. But just going back to, I hope Brent can still hear me, even though he stepped off camera. Okay. So okay, so Henry, yeah, so Henry brought up King Cobras. I was gonna bring up King Cobras because there's a lot. I don't want to say a lot, but Henry and I know quite a few individuals who have bred king cobras and who have been bitten by babies where no clinical effects were given. They they knew they got envenomated. It wasn't a dry bite, but really no clinical effects shy of like minor swelling, or it was an extremely minor case to the point where they did not need anti-venom. Now, I'm not saying that's the case at all. I'm just saying in, in, in the general list of it, but the cases that Henry and I know of, that happened to be the scenario. And we always assume that it was just the yield, right? So if a baby puts in, you know, a 16th of a gram, right, like a 16th of a gram opposed to an adult that gives you, I don't know, 50 grams, whatever, whatever they dump inside you. Is it that the toxin is different, like we spoke about in the juvenile opposed to the adult? Or is it simply that there's such a less
3: of a yield? Well, does it, let me ask you this, hypothetically, does it have to be one of those two things? Because I'm going to tell you now, venom is venom. It's it's proteins and enzymes. And biologically, as a human, you're going to be affected in a different way. Let me ask you this. How is 350,000 people dying every year from bee stings? Right. And nine people or less are dying from venomous snake bites. And and to be fair, let's talk about this. Let's say me, you, Justin, and our I would say top ten, but I'll just put it out there are only ten listeners. <laughs> <laughs> let's say let's say that thirteen of us are in in some sort of the woods, and every single it's one funny. of us got thung ten times by right. a, how many of us are going to be allergic? How many of us are going to go into anaphylaxis? How many of us will die?
0: Yeah.
3: And 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 to be honest, I have friends that were bit by eastern diamondbacks and took 4 vials. I have yeah. friends that were bit by an eastern diamondback that was smaller and it took 35 vials to save his life. Yeah. I had a friend that was bitten by a pygmy that never went to the hospital. I mm-hmm. had a friend by a pygmy lost two fingers and almost lost his life in the ICU for two weeks. I've had friends that have been bitten by a copperhead and said it was like a bad beast thing and never went to the hospital. Yeah. I had other friends that got bit by a copperhead immediately had blisters within 13 minutes and went into anaphylaxis in less than, less than 20. Wow. So like people, people are affected differently by dent, you know, by venom sure sure um and so that's part of it right so there's a lot of things that go into into these these types of bites when we're talking about venom in particular with snakes so you have you have the factor of dry bites there's a lot of types of bites you have dry bites Mm -hmm. i'm going to give you a little bit on a defense i'm going to give you some because i think you're actually messing with me a hunting bite a defensive bite And the last is, I think I'm going to die. I'm going to give you everything I got. I don't give a fuck bite. Like, that's the worst kind to get, right? right? So you have, are you marking when I cuss, Justin, so you can cut it out? No. Okay. So so you have these different types of bites, right? And uh, and we've seen, I I think we estimate close to 50% bites are dry.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's 40% in captivity.
3: Yeah, 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 and yeah. I think almost fifty percent is is dry in total, yeah. and and by by that we mean it was either no venom or not enough to actually have a physical effect. Now keep in mind, there's right. guys out there like Reed who injects himself on purpose with month, and at, I think SI is so. Yeah. However, there's people out there that can handle milligrams or multiple cc's of black mama venom and have no problem there's other people that you get stung by a bee and you stop breathing in five minutes
2: yeah so yeah.
3: people biologically react to venom differently so the fact that you have two friends that reacted completely differently to two different types of bites surprise me
0: because right but that's, but that, that's so not the question though
3: there's so many factors
0: Right, but, that, but that's not necessarily the question. I'm not talking about guy number guy A who gets bit and goes anaphylactic, and guy B who gets bit and nothing happens. I'm talking about four or five individuals who were all bit by neonate king cobras in some degree, whether it be – and we'll never know if it was a dry bite, if it was a scratch with residual venom on the fang, or if it was a full gauntlet yield. But all of them had very, very minor, minor reactions – and then you look at other people that got bit by a four or five footer, and they they died. So it, that that's the question. That was my question at hand. I, is okay. yeah.
3: So I mean, honestly, and and I haven't studied, <laughs> Ophiopogon yeah. and um, in particular, right? right. By there may be an ontogenetic shift there. Yeah. Where, as a juvenile, it's more derived for insects or small mammals things like that or two as an adult they're you know after three four five feet yeah you know, two three four years that they're more geared toward large because that's what they at that point right 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 the, the the venom is particularly meant to stop high-metabolism animals. Right, not.
1: and that's what I was going to get at, was it's, it's more of a necessity because when you're smaller, you're not as fast, and you have to get your meal
0: now. Right. Like, it, well, there also, is and, no
1: room for it to run. You have to get it and put it down fast.
0: And it's also the difference between uh, a baby eating a green tree frog and a 10-foot cobra eating a 6- or 7-foot colognathus.
2: Mm-hmm. You know?
3: that's, uh, but we honestly, we have no idea if it actually yields or not. I don't know right. that you in that particular species. Now, what I do know is that when an inland taipan, when an Oxyuranus comes out, I mean, it's the size of a number two pencil.
0: Right. It's the exact same everything,
3: right? Be pretty in the room. I don't care how many people have in the room. It can kill all of them. Yeah, One one
0: hundredth of a gram.
3: Yeah, like like inland taipans, coastal taipans, papuan taipans, and now the newly described western taipan, the western desert taipan, which is... Temporalis. yeah, yeah, it's like the new fourth type of Taipan, whatever. Um, I'm still debating if I'm on board or not. However, okay. Taipans are Taipans, <laughs> and they're super, super dangerous. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you look at that, and it's like, as as an as a baby the size of a number two pencil, it can it can destroy fifty five grown ass men.
0: Yeah.
3: Um. So, it doesn't seem to be much of an ontogenetic shift there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we don't we don't really know. Like, I know that some some baby snakes are as dangerous, and when we talk about you know when there's a whole myth about baby snakes being more dangerous than adult snakes and things like that, babies can kill you because they can't control their venom. It's like no, it's not true. They can control their venom, but that doesn't mean that babies aren't more dangerous per se because of the ontogenetic shift and the types of enzymes and proteins. Some, as juveniles, might be more dangerous to humans right, than they are as an adult. To yeah. be honest, because the venom composition changes. So they might be more dangerous as the juvenile in certain yeah. species. In certain, well,
1: makes me wonder if the percentage as far as dry bites to, to not is different with babies because they're smaller and they, they feel more threatened and sure. because they, they have more to lose, I guess would be kind of the term I'd use, but
3: sure. That's another yeah. good, that's another good hypothesis for sure. sure. And just going but back I, to what Brent was saying, what, what's that? I said, and where the myth came from.
0: Yeah. Uh, but just going back to what Brent was saying is uh, in terms of the venom affecting certain species differently, you know, there's cases of, 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 canine pet dogs in South America getting bit by lachesis and nothing happens. You know, their paw swells up or whatever, but you know, damn well, if that whacked one of us, it puts a primate on his ass real quick. Yeah. So.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Absolutely. Yeah. And here's the thing, man. You know, people ask me all the time, like, you know, if if you were going to get bit today by anything, what would it be? And I'm like, well, in the U S like, if you gave me the choice, yeah. I'd probably say copperhead. Yeah. You give me the choice, like you get to get bit by any venomous snake in the US today, but it's happening today, but you get to choose what it is. I would have to say copperhead. That being said, I might do a lot better with a bite from a prairie rattlesnake than I do. I might react more to that. Yeah. Thing. There's no yeah. way to know. And yeah. and only with there's no scratch test. Right. right. At, at <laughs> Figure out what you're more allergic to. And I'll also point out that anybody's worked in and around venom labs, in and around venomous snakes for a long time, in and around places like anywhere that has a lot of venomous animals, from tubes to, to tongs to glass cages to plastic cages to venom extraction. Anytime there's venom that gets on the tools, on the utensils, on the yeah. gla- plastic. And you get exposed to that because over time it crystallizes, it aerosolizes. And when you go to clean it, you could breathe, breathe it in your lungs. Allergies are caused by two things. When you have allergies, it's H1 or H2 histamines that overreact. Those are caused by one of two things. Overexposure or underexposure to something. Period. <laughs> like, that's, that's how histamines work. That's where allergies come from we talk talking about anaphylaxis and things like that. So, a lot, a lot, a lot of venomous guys who do venomous stuff as a venomous profession every day, day in and day out, or often enough, primarily the guys that do venomous stuff for a living day in and day out, they're, they're, there's a very, very good chance that they're going to be highly allergic to venom in one sense or another. Now, most of the people that I know... That deal with venomous animals in particular, spitting cobras. I can walk into a zoo. And if there's a zoo building that has a spitting cobra in it, I could walk into the building and be like, yeah, there's there's spitting cobras here. Because my <laughs> eyes water and my nose starts to itch before I ever even see the anaconda. I'm not even, yeah. I'm not even past like the crocodilians or anaconda yet. <laughs> And I can tell, I know, I know that there's those because I've, I've been around them enough. My eyes start watering, my nose starts running. Like that's a real thing. And so being allergic to your own research is a real thing that actually happens in venom. Yeah. And so, you know, that's another thing to consider. Like these guys that deal with these venom sands all the time and, and how reactive they are, Somebody who's never seen a venomous snake in their life and gets bit might be better off than a guy who's done copperhead research for the last 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a real thing to consider, right? And that's something that people forget often is that, like, the people that deal with this stuff all the time, they're like, oh, my God, this guy's been doing timber rattlesnakes for 30 years. He got bit and he almost died. And it's like, yeah, but. Part of that could be attributed to the fact that he's been dealing with them for the last thirty years. Yeah, yeah. Where a guy that has never seen a, a timber in his life might have a better chance. Yeah. Because because of that. So there's so many things that go into venom. That when people are like, "What's the most dangerous snake in the world?" I get that question every time. every day. Every day. What's the most venomous snake in the world? What's What's the most dangerous snake in the world? That's the question. Yep. yep. And my standard answer, what's the most dangerous snake in the world, is the one that just bit you. Right. Because to be honest, the rest of them don't matter. (laughs) That simple. So, you know, there's a lot lot to all that, man. And um, honestly, we could do entire three-hour talks on just that. Yeah. No joke. Right. Yeah. There's so much to it. But I just wanted to bring up just a small, like, kind of sprinkle in the points of, like, Sure. There's so many things that you ask me one question. I'm like, well, let me go on a 15 minute tangent about (laughs) all the 13 hypotheticals because the reality is nobody knows. Yeah. Always about the scorpions. Nobody really knows about onto genetic shift in, in certain animals. Nobody really knows about all these types of things like what happens if, or whatever. Like you could be somebody who's never been exposed to a venomous snake in your life and have the worst reaction ever. You could also be a guy who's been exposed to him your entire life and you built him an immunity somehow because that's the way your personal biology works. And the yeah. ones actually get bit by a copperhead, you've been working with them for 45 years. And now it's like your body didn't even notice. You know, yeah. It was like, like a pinprick. And and there's no way to know. There's no way yeah. to know. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, everyone always – Interesting fields for sure. Oh, yeah,
0: 100%. Everyone always tells me about because I do keep spitters and stuff like that and talk about the allergens and, you know, venom in the air and venom in the urates and all that stuff. And, like, I kind of poo-pooed it over the years, but it wasn't until recently. So I don't keep Asiatic spitters. I only have African stuff. But we do have Asiatic spitters at Underground's Farm. And they rarely spit because – they're like, they're just chilling. They don't have a reason to, you know, they're, they're stress-free, you know, they're, they're chilling in a, in a vision cage. Um, but one day, one of the female that Henry takes care of, for the most part, it got a little funky and it spat on my leg and it must've seen a shadow on the floor or something. And I didn't think anything of it. You know, I washed my leg off with water and wipe it off. And then my leg got tingly. And the question is, is that the hypochondria setting in or it have just from <laughs> over the years, have i developed somewhat of an allergen to asiatic cobra venom you know who knows well
3: yeah that's tough man that's interesting
0: yeah you know ironically it's also you know i I, I admit i've been spat in the eyes before and uh by cobra and it by cmensis and i wonder if that had something to do with it my body you know had it in there before and was like whoa that's that's not kosher You know, we might want to get on high alert, you know, DEFCON 3 or whatever. (laughs) Who knows? Or it could have, honestly, it could have all been in my mind. You know, it could have been a a weird reaction to, you know, a foreign protein on my leg hair. Who knows?
3: But but that's one of the things, though, is like, honestly, you know, it could, yeah, you're absolutely right. It could have been that. But the reality is, you know, again, when it comes to, to histamines, which causes anaphylaxis and allergies in general, overexposure and underexposure are the two main things that does it. So, like, if you've been exposed to it multiple times or once really bad or whatever, and your body's like, yo, we've seen this before. We've already built up antibodies. Send all soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. Like that's what causes anaphylaxis. Um, now, if you didn't stop breathing or whatever, this is not anaphylaxis. You right. Reaction. there's hives and things like that. that are also allergies that isn't anaphylaxis. Sure. But, you know, looking at it from, from that standpoint, like, if you've been spit in the eyes, well, the fact that you still have both of them you can see, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's an interesting story for a whole other episode. <laughs> for
3: sure. Well, yeah. Best, so-
0: especially since I was wearing safety glasses. That's the best part.
3: <laughs> oh, so Must but- not have been that safe. <clears throat> yeah, dude. Yeah, you should, you should like... Definitely look at your safety glass provider and and upgrade for sure. Um, uh, well,
0: that's why I wear a face shield now.
3: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, yeah. So so fun fact. Um, so one of the cool things about about spitting cobras in general, all of them, is uh, they have a cytotoxic venom. And what's really cool about them, and I say that cool because they haven't spit in my eyes, so I say I say. <laughs> um, one of the cool things about them is the way it works, the cytotoxic, cytotoxic means attacks the cells. Right. So cytotoxic venom, what they do is they actually eat away all of the exterior of your eye shell, the part that produces the liquid to make your eye moist. What that does is it actually dries your eyeball out, which makes your eyelid stick to your eyeball And when that peels away, that's what causes blindness. So the reason they make you blind is it actually stops your eye from being able to lubricate because it kills all of the liquid-producing cells on the front, which is a a terrifying thing to think about. Oh, yeah. But super, super cool adaptation. Not to mention the fact that some of these snakes, man, like Mozambique. And black neck spitters and things like that. Think about this: we have we have antivenoms for most of the snakes, but things like zebra spitters, did there is no antivenom. There's no, yeah. anti- and to think about the fact that they can, from their normal cobra fangs, which happen to have the hole in the front and not the back, but the front of the fang can hit you from eight to twelve feet away. Dead square in the eyes with incredible sniper type accuracy is fascinating to me. Like yeah. how like go up and just aim that fast. Like yep.
1: Well, and the fact yeah. that I mean, the, like snake vision isn't that great to begin with. And that's the fact not it it, that is, <clears throat> is, it is it though. Is
3: it is it though? That's the question. I don't know anymore because like that's a, that's uh, a, yeah. How that's like that's like archer fish where they can yeah. like like spit. Drops of water to knock grasshoppers or crickets off of plants, but there's the bend of the water, right? They have the right, refraction. Yeah. they have a refraction, so they're doing like basically they're they're born doing calculus and derivatives in their head, and they could just be like, "Oh, there's something." Yeah, yeah, cal- yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm like, "How does how, that, that's mind blowing for humans? Yeah, you have these things with teeny tiny fish can do it." I say the same thing about spitting cobras, and I'm like, yeah. "How, like, dude? I, I couldn't, I couldn't spit and barely hit the. These are the lights from my truck, by the way, and I could, I could barely spit right now as a human and hit the the bumper of my truck if I wanted to. Yeah, these right. in the eye from 12 feet away. Yeah,
0: and <laughs> not even that, they can factor in the trajectory of where the the aggressor is going to be. Yeah.
2: Dude, yeah, so I- so,
0: it's not just spitting at a stationary target. <laughs> no, it's anticipating yeah. where the target is going to end, and aiming at that point. It's not- it's incredible. To be, fair,
3: to be fair, if you watch them in slow motion, they're like they they kind of do a quick like figure eight type of thing to right. make sure it's all covered. Yeah, but at, at the same time, like the fact that they can do that at all, yeah, with a T V tiny brain blows yeah. your mind, right? Yeah. So there's nothing to be said about that. So, yeah, it's just a fun fact about this cytotoxic venom of, of spitting cobras. But, yeah, so I wouldn't want to be spit in the eyes for sure. Um, but I do know what's weird is if you talk to most of the venom guys, what's weird is, like, we won't have – we could work with mambas for 10 years and not have – I couldn't walk into a zoo and tell you if they had mambas or not. Yeah, You could work, you could work with neotropical rattlesnakes, derisks perificus, whatever, not have a reaction to those when you walk in the room. But for some reason, there's something about spitting cobras in general. Well,
0: that goes back to the defensive concept.
3: But it's crazy. Like when when I – it's just spitting cobras. That's it. I can walk in yeah. like, what? spitting cobras in the zoo. And they're like, what? We're in Knoxville. And I'm like, I'm telling you they have at least one. Even if it's not yeah. on – I'm telling you they have one because I can – my eyes are watering. My nose is itchy. Like that's a real thing. Yeah. And and I don't, I mean, you're right. It might be a defensive thing for sure. Yes.
0: It's because they've, they have that one protein or that one enzyme Mm -hmm. catered for defense that sets them apart from everybody else, you know? And even, even the the huge differential between Asiatic species, African species and wrinkles on their own, even though they're in Africa, like it's still a separate thing, right? The variation of the toxins, each one is still different, but each one is still for defense and each one's still in theory could possess some kind of allergic reaction
3: yeah yeah it's crazy. incredible and what and what's crazy about that too is like again humans are all built right some of us are more susceptible to cancer than others some of us are more susceptible to heart disease than others some of right. us are more susceptible to parkinson's than others. and so biologically and heretically like we are all more susceptible or less susceptible to different types of venoms and venom composition. So Justin might get bit by a copperhead and have have it be like a bad bee sting. You might get bit by a copperhead and see nothing. I might get bit by a copperhead and go into anaphylaxis in five minutes. And the reality is, no matter how much we work with them, we have them, we own them, like whatever, there's no way to know. There's no way to know. We're all going to react different. Right. Now we oh we do know scientifically that certain exposure to certain things can increase it but it doesn't guarantee that yeah i might work with copperheads for a really long time and actually not have as big of an issue whereas you might work with them for a third of the time but now you're almost guaranteed yeah a terrible reaction or a terrible bite and and yeah. I mean, it's it, There's just no way to tell, man. And that's one of the reasons that venom, for me in particular, is so fascinating, and and why I love talking about it is because people are like, "Oh yeah, well I have a buddy that was bit by a by a copperhead and he almost died. So it's like the worst snake in Louisiana." And I'm like, honestly, dude, if you, if you an option, I would take that over any other bite of any of the U.S. Yeah. for sure. Yeah. And I would. Drop for drop toxicity, whatever. That's that's my choice. Mm-hmm. If you gave me yeah. the choice. But at the same time, I know guys that were bit by Hortus and guys that were bit by a canyon rattlesnake and guys that were bit by a you know a neotropical and and they all had different things to say because they all had different experiences and different death close calls. That could have yeah. it was their 17th bite or their seventh. It could have been the fact that it was the first time they were bit versus the 15th. It could have been their third bite from a Hortus versus their first. Like, there's no way to tell. Man. There's just yeah. too many variables. Right. And so when you're talking about venom, you know, back to the original point about the scorpions and stuff. Man, there's just no way to tell, man. There's, yeah. just oh. And the reality is you could get bit by a copperhead, a cottonmouth, and then uh, a Mexican rattlesnake. But if the venom composition is similar enough biochemically, you could have created an allergy to a rattlesnake. Yeah in Mexico that you've never been in contact with. But when you get bit by that, the one time you now go immediately into anaphylaxis because you had experience with two other things that were biochemically similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No way to know if that's actually going to happen or not. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I know an individual that was bit right. by, I know an individual who was bit by Bothrops atrox, and a, a juvenile. Sure. Bitten the, yeah. Yeah. Bit in the thumb, uh, was hesitant to seek uh, medical help because he was keeping it illegally. Um, but it got to the point where he didn't feel a single symptom or anything for about five hours. And then right at the five hour mark, everything turned on. And he was like, what the hell did I do? I got to go. But again, because of fear of legal ramifications, he, he lived in Florida, um, He told them it was an Eastern Diamondback when he was taking his garbage out. So they gave him Crofab. Well, uh, interestingly enough, it worked. And it stopped all symptoms. But it gave him a massive, massive blood infection. And they were basically going to amputate his hand. And uh, even though it had no real damage to the tissue of his hand, because of the amount of infection under the skin, so to speak, they were just going to lop his hand off. He actually, uh, a horrible story. He, he broke himself out of the hospital in his hospital gown, convinced a taxi driver to drive him to a hand surgeon the two towns over in hospital gown, and then went, walked in that office, and the hand surgeon said, no, 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 we can, we can help your hand, and we'll fix the infection. And anyway, that was just a different doctor. So uh, aside from it all being a horrible, horrible, illegal-ass story, it just goes to show you that the body has some funky reactions to stuff for sure yeah serum sickness but, to the nines
3: but that yeah and, and so serum sickness is a real thing as well but like one of the things that you know, we talk about is like um you know everybody's like oh yeah serum sickness and whatever and but you talk to anybody like at, you talk to carl barton or jack lasante or any like the big yeah. <laughs> and they're like bro if i have the choice to have too much anti venom or not enough, he probably got serum sickness because they gave him an anti venom that didn't actually do much. Right. Pain, actually right. So, like, yeah. that's the same as like the starter dose for Crofab is six vials. That's right. like pumping somebody with 13 right off the bat. There's probably a good chance they're going to get serum sickness. Yeah. Which has killed people or made them go back to ICU two weeks later. But yeah. the reason is like, if you give me the choice to have too much anti-venom or not enough, I'm going to take too much every single of course. Time. Alternatively, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he got the help and whatever he got. But at that point, it you say it worked. The reality is they said he was going to lose his hand. He went somewhere else and didn't lose it. That doesn't mean the anti venom worked. Oh no, no,
0: I I wasn't saying that.
3: He didn't get the right anti venom, and also didn't lose his hand. Right. I mean, that's 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 maybe a correlation, but certainly not causation, which is not the same thing. True. True. Reason I bring that up is because, like, um, you know, certain people like want to say like any anti venom is better than no anti venom, and and a lot of people out there. And I'm not going either way right this second. Right, conversation, right. Conversation. But a lot of people out there would argue that that's not true. Yeah. And that sometimes it may be worse to get the wrong antivenom than none. of course. You know, I think
0: I think the saving grace was it's still pit viper to a certain degree. Hmm. You know, maybe his body took over and handled it, his body handled it a different way, either pro or or in a negative way, who knows? But I think the simple fact is that it was relatively Relative, and this is a very, very big, you know, vague thing. Yeah. Relatively the same because it's it's Western Pit Viper, right? It's not like they gave him anti venom for, say, Boomslang. You know what I mean? That's completely... They're still Crotalids. Right, exactly. They're still Crotalids,
3: yeah. Mm. Well, I don't know. Crotaline. So look at, like, uh, you know you look at when it's right so a western diamondback mojave whatever those are crotalids Mm -hmm. have uh the neotropical rattlesnakes right which were and now they're just derisus whatever but they used to be crotalis derisus certificates yeah Mm -hmm. which is a way worse bite than a western diamondback oh yeah but at the same time you have cottonmouth cisterdon piscivorus. Mexico, right down the street, we have a Kisternon bilineatus, the cancil. And there's no actual research to support the fact that one works for the other. Now we do know with Antivip and AniVip try now through um, RDT and Bea clone that that works for those South American, Middle American species, and also works for Copperheads and moss. right? But going back to that original point, like you say, you say because you know he he went there, he got the he got the push of of crow whatever, and and it worked because he didn't lose his hand. The reality is, you don't know because there was no control. Had he not got crow fab, would he have had the same outcome? And you don't that's know true.
0: that. Yeah,
3: that's and true. So, and so there's really no way to know if it actually worked, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the hard thing about it too. We talk about that all the time in the industry, um, about anti-venoms and things like that. When you're talking FDA approval and running through the $125 million, 10 year process to get approved and things like that. Yeah. Um, like what works and what doesn't, and we've done that it worked 12 times. Yeah. But you didn't show 13 and we require 13 and we're like, sure. All right, so we'll start all over. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. just frustrating.
0: Well, now, you're all right, so just going back to what you were saying, you, you said the Innoserp worked for Dorisus even though it's not supposed to. No,
3: no, no, no. vip.
0: Oh, Anivip, okay. So
3: Antivip and Antivip try,
0: right? Which that's those are both in Spain, correct?
3: Nope. that's those for, are
0: that's, that's Mexico, a Mexico. So now they didn't make that using properties of neotropical rattlesnakes or they did
3: that the example was um for for the akistradon and and things like that okay yes yeah, so i was talking about you know akistradons and cantils and things like that right right tropicals for the westerns that was a separate separate analogy so um theirs is made from and with Mexican species that works as a blanket for the U.S. Okay. But don't have anything for the U.S. species that works as a blanket for Mexico. I got you. Why that is. Yeah. FDA thing. It's not. Yeah.
1: Canteals don't get enough love.
3: No, not at all, man. I think cancels, they're awesome species, man. Yeah. I, I I would argue that they're just the prettier version of of cotton you are trying amazing.
1: to give Phil an aneurysm. His mustache just about jumped off his face. Why? I don't know. I'd rather have a, a canteel over a cotton mouth. I don't sure find cotton mouths all that attractive, honestly. I don't cotton care how they just, they just don't do it for me, man. I'm sorry. Of all the Echistradon, there's those are my last pick.
3: I oh, think, man. generally speaking, especially if you get into the adults, they're they're kind of anticlimactic in my opinion. Like they are.
1: They're not sexy enough.
3: No, dude, they're, they're pretty drab, pretty drab colors. They're,
1: they're the pretty... honey boo boo of pit vipers in the U S man.
3: <laughs> I, I tend to agree.
1: They're the mama June. Of...
3: <laughs> I'm
0: leaving the show.
3: I, <laughs> <laughs> That's twin spots in Arizona Ridge nose Super sexy.
0: They are super sexy.
3: But like, I don't know, man. For the U.S. For the U.S. Vipers, like they're.
0: You can do well, better, first, Bill.
3: First of all, not only are they like not not the prettiest in my they're opinion. They're pretty when they're
1: babies, but then after that, like year mark. But to be fair, ugly duckling.
3: Look just like copperheads. Which is the only thing that makes them pretty. that
1: that they have color yeah
3: yeah as a like i think they're they're fairly drab and they they live everywhere like they're they're, just
1: glorified nerodia
3: well mistaken for at least 13 species of nerodia for sure
0: you you just I do. He has
1: he has a, fe- a, se- a severe cottonmouth fetish.
0: I do. I love him. Really? Awesome. awesome. Nice
3: yeah. <laughs> really? Yep. Why?
0: Oh man, I don't know. It's just it's the quintessential southern, quintessential southern swamp snake. You a know,
1: Florida mascot.
0: Yeah. The rotten mouth, the swamp lion. I just love him, man. I love seeing one in the wild. Every chance I get to see one in the wild, dude, it's awesome, and it kills me all right it doesn't kill me because they don't gape in captivity and i really attribute that to a, a lot of other animals that you know it's like breaking a horse you know you get this this wild mustang and you break the horse so you can ride it i feel like it's the same thing with the cotton mouth is that you, you want to see that that threat display that that white cottony mouth right they just don't do it in captivity which when you come to think of it is probably a really really good thing because that means they're not stressed you know, they're comfortable, at least in their surroundings, the fact that they don't feel like they're being eaten, you know, but I just love them, man.
3: If it's really about the threat display, why are you not a big fan of Hognos than anything else? Because they have more threat displays than any other snake on the planet Earth.
0: That is true. That is true. I don't know. Hognos don't do it for me. But
3: Hog- Hognos have more threat displays than all other snakes combined.
0: That's wild. That's wild. I-
3: Hognose can do seven different threat displays. So if it's really about the threat display, you should be a bigger fan of Hognose than any other snake on the planet.
1: He likes <laughs> like he rings yeah. close enough.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, fuck you. What ring necks? No, no ring, calls. ring calls. Oh yeah,
0: <clears throat> yeah. But no, I just I just like I just like cottonmouths, man. Quintessential Florida snake. You know,
1: hmm.
0: nerd. I know they're smelly. They're pains in the ass. They're pretty friggin' ugly. <laughs>
3: I don't yeah. know, man. I just like it. I was gonna Be make you sure aware of it. I'm aware of it. Joke, but I decided not to. You make a what joke? I was gonna make a general Floridian joke, but I decided not to. Ah, oh, go ahead, go for it. I've heard them all. Well, <laughs> no, you said you said they were smelly and they were yeah, mm-hmm. and they were <laughs> it's Florida man. It's America's glory all. Makes sense. <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> but I, uh, so I have a Florida number and and three businesses in Florida, so I know you're allowed. <laughs> I'm allowed. You're I, allowed. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, uh, how's that go? You're you know, you're Floridian by injection. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I I don't know, man. I just don't see the listen and to be the clear, appeal. I yeah. I don't hate. I don't hate Cottonmouths. Yeah. I don't i just don't see the real appeal like even out of us rattlesnakes like if i could if i could do with something super cool and venomous whatever like i don't know man timbers are way up there yeah. or like and, and don't get me wrong
0: I, I don't think that cottonmouths are the 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 most grandiose you know venomous snake of north america no not at all there's way cooler shit in our continent I just
3: like them. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I mean, to be fair, so Woody, if you talk to him about any snake, he'll be like, yeah, those are cool. Yeah, those are cool. Yeah, those are cool. And you bring up garter snakes, <laughs> and he's like a kid in a candy store, like a <laughs> like, Christmas tree about garter snakes. And I love him to death. One of my best friends in the world, my yeah. business, my business is, hands down, love that guy with all my heart. However... When he's just like, Oh yeah, garter snakes and garter snakes. I love garter snakes. And I'm like, like out of all the snakes you could have picked, you picked that yeah. one.
0: Like, yeah. out of- <laughs> <laughs> Fucking nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got their thing. Everyone's got their thing. Oh yeah.
3: Man. Like it just yeah. blows my- It is. It is for some people. And but but what I really like about that is that we need people to love cotton mouse more than anything else. Yeah. The same Absolutely. way that Daniel love timbers more than everything else the same yeah. with tiger rattlers. there you go oh yeah so tigers are sick man if you're like- arizona
0: blacks Oof. You like
3: really Oof. Fat, tiny heads that are drop for drop one of the most venomous snakes in the united states tigers are up there yeah. for sure. fat snakes with teeny tiny heads but they're awesome awesome yeah. dude and um but like I, I d I don't know. I'm I have a hard time figuring out why out of all the venomous snakes we talk about in the United States, corals are never brought up enough.
0: You're right. Agreed. You're right, agreed. I'm
3: throwing that out there, dude. In all of the conversations yeah. we have on all of the things that I always talk about, corals are never brought up enough, dude.
1: That's my favorite native venomous.
3: Dude, like it's and, so and, cool.
1: And it's because they're, they're so they're so just different out there compared to everything else. Yeah, you know?
3: only a lapid in the U.S. That's not a coastal sea snake that comes from somewhere else. Right. a in the U.S. There's only three species. Um, they rarely hurt hurt humans, and if they do, it's because they were asking for it in one way yep. or another. Um, I mean they're 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 fixed front fang, neurotoxic. <laughs> like, the, the, yeah, the, I really
1: I really hope I see some.
3: They're this U.S. Over us, bro. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: We have, I have two species here in in Louisiana. We get Fulvius on the east side by Slidell and Lafayette, and I get Tenor on the west side, an, an hour west of my house. So if you want to see them, come here, hang out at my house just in this summer, and we will go get them. Also, I have 70,000 acres to roam around on an hour away from here in town. That's awesome. Cool. Give me the word, bro. We'll go do it. What
2: well, kills last,
3: me? Last
1: year, uh, it wasn't even last year. It was actually a couple months ago. Um, my wife, we, she was at the neighbor's house around the corner letting the dogs run around because we take Archie over there to play with their dogs. And uh, she saw one and sent me a picture of it. And now every time I'm over there, I'm like looking around there. They have a big magnolia tree that drops a ton of leaves. I'm like, this is prime
0: it kills me because your wife found a coral, it found an Eastern coral snake in the water.
1: A really nice, like high yellow one too. Like really thick, uh, uh, abnormally thick yellow bands. Like really, really, yeah.
0: Before I have.
1: And it, she didn't, it was wasted on her. She was, it was. She she just brags about it just to rub it in. It's not that she actually thought it was cool and that she found a coral snake. It's just, thank God God we didn't talk about this. You didn't.
0: Thank God we didn't talk about this earlier when she was awake.
1: She still, she still is. Ah, oh, damn it! So
0: I'm what expecting her to pop
1: in and say something now.
3: <laughs> so Let's see if I can I'm, find the picture of it. I'm, I'm never gonna forget my first, my first experience doing the video stuff with you guys. I, I've never, I've never met your wife in person. Never had any experience with her other than the one time that she walked into camera, and she literally just walks in and goes. <laughs> Brent Venomous, what is that like, Joe Exotic? Yeah, walks off camera. She now around. refers
1: to you as the as the Joe Exotic guy. Oh that
3: was Jesus. that was like that was like uh. the first and only experience I ever had with his wife, and I was like super offended and yeah. also super super <laughs> proud. <laughs> and I was like, I can't even be mad at that. Yeah, yeah. Like, Brent Venomous, what is that like, Joe Exotic? <sighs> and just walks off camera like just like I couldn't even respond if I wanted to. Yeah. So that was the only that was the only time I've ever actually like had any experience with your wife ever. Yep.
0: I love Katie. She's great. She puts up with our bullshit. And like and I tell you, coming up there for for your wedding cuz cuz she obviously doesn't come to the shows, I had not met her in person, but it was like I've known her for years, you know? <laughs> cuz I mean, let's be real, I have, you know. It's just not in the flesh. So, man,
1: I really hope I can. i really hope I can find this picture because it was really cool looking coral, man.
3: I think you can find it too,
1: I'm not seeing it. Trying to think of all the people that I might have sent it to.
0: Well, didn't your wife send it to you?
1: Yeah, but it's it's I can't. It's not on there anymore. Oh, so, okay. yeah I'm he checking, deleted
0: all the messages from
1: her
2: right I'm checking
1: <laughs> I checked Henry like Henry and I's conversation's not there now I'm checking nipper because <laughs> I can almost guarantee you I sent it to him at some point yeah. just to make him jealous of course jealous of a snake that I didn't even find <laughs> oh
0: man yeah all the years man all the years of her I've never found a coral
3: snake
1: that still blows my mind
3: yeah. So check this out, man. So every time I've gone to Arizona, whether it was May or June, July, August, whatever, I found at least one Sonoran coral every single trip I've ever made. And now check this out. What's even crazier about that is I've had friends that have gone out there for 10 years yeah, trying to get one photo and never seen one. And I'll be walking around looking for a and be like, Oh, there's one just walking around. But I've also yeah. been on the road, I've collected them multiple times for the venom labs. Um, I found a bunch, I can take them in pictures, whatever, like, and let them go. Um, but I've, I've never been out there and not seen at least one, which is crazy to me because what that means is I've been down to that, that part of Arizona For years and years and years, and I've seen more of those than I have Gila's. wow, which is crazy. Yeah. So, like, just just here, I'm like, oh, I want to see a Texas coral snake or an Eastern coral snake, right? Whether I want to see a penner or a Fulvius, and I could literally, from my house, probably go see one. Like, I'm telling you, at the at the end of by the end of April, I'll be able to drive one hour west, see one in the morning. And then drive three hours each and see the Fulvius the same day.
0: That's crazy.
3: Yeah, yeah. Crazy. 100%, dude. It, it, that blew my mind. It's awesome. And I promise you there will be a day that I do that in the same day. Yeah. And I will do that just because it's a goal of mine now at this point. No, you have to. Dude, dude, it's awesome. You guys got to come up here and do that with me, man. I 100% want to do that. Come yeah. do it. I got a place. I got a place. Yeah. Come stay. I got I got point six four-something acres in the woods. Just come stay
0: out here. Awesome. Awesome. Did you find it, Justin?
1: I'm not finding it. No, there's a picture of my rhino rat that I lost. That's a nice, painful
0: memory. Maybe if you had a door sweep.
1: <laughs> Fuck you, Phil. Yeah, I know. Ah. I hope didn't even send it to him. Damn.
3: Bro, you must have been super proud about this thing, the fact that you didn't send it to fucking anybody. Yeah,
0: or better yet, you didn't save it in your
3: favorites.
1: (laughs) Well, I got a new phone since then, so it may have been lost in the Do you
3: know how many
0: snake pictures I have in my favorites that are not even anyone I actually know? I'm like, that's an awesome snake. Oh, I don't know that guy, but I'm saving that photo.
3: Dude, these bugs are getting bad.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're all midges. Photos aside we are at we're at three hours gentlemen
3: oh yeah sorry that was my bad because i'm no already. it's awesome god brent i know I come on it's like you better plan on three hours of your night
0: hey it's always a great show so you say it, it. Let's well, i two. do
3: Let's the comment you. section speaks
0: for itself
1: no. did i tell you i found uh another tantilla yesterday
0: you did you did congratulations
1: Oddly excited about it.
0: It's because it's our snake, bro.
1: It is our snake.
0: What kind it's of snake?
1: Coronada. What do you. Have? Little N- ringneck, southeastern ringneck snakes?
3: That's, first of all, ring not neck. ringneck,
1: crown, crown snakes. Crown I'm sorry. Snakes.
3: Oh, okay. yeah, totally. Different. So it's not, <clears throat> not a nigra. Snake.
1: No. No, we just have cornuda here, I believe.
3: Yeah. dantella cr-
1: Coronada. I'm sorry.
3: Coronada. It's late. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah.
1: I did find this adorable picture of Archie that I sent you at some point. Look at that little guy. Adorable. S- saved that.
0: Handsome bastard.
1: And then some awesome Jance and I that were at Daytona last year that were super dark, but also super old and busted.
3: Not a coral snake. Hey, speaking of old and busted, it's time for me trailer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Yeah. We'll uh it's a good show. Um yeah. brought to you by the fine folks at Puget Sound Pythons. Please check them out. Check out Venom Life Gear, get hooked, the Sleepyest Snake Bite Foundation, the Venom Institute. All that good
3: stuff. Hell yeah. We have gotta start branchells.com. That's a better way to go.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> That too. That's all all of those in one place.
3: Yeah. Whether you guys know me or not, like me or not, I want to thank all of you for watching and or listening. And uh, uh, I love you all. Thank you for your support. Thanks for supporting these guys, making them keep going. Because without them keeping going, I would just be a dude in my truck lights talking to myself in front of the trailer. So thank you guys for helping make this happen. We all love you. Thank you. And good night.
0: Thank you.
2: Later, y'all. Bye.